Hello, and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that has caught more chickens than Dave Ball. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and uh, you know, Shambo, put the chickens back. Put the chickens back. We need we need to do the challenge first. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm ready to get clotheslined by this clothesline of a podcast. Um, I'm Paul Osselson, and I'm uh, ready to play with fire and get burned. And uh, before we jump into thing, uh, anything here, Paul, what the hell is up with your voice? I, I swear, I sound totally normal, but then you stumbled onto something. As soon as we jumped on the call to start recording this, you identified exactly what happened. I just spent the last five um, hours just really screaming and rooting for Shambo because of how much I love her. And um, that really has taken a toll on my voice. So if I sound a little bit raspy, it's because of all the Shambo shouting. Do you think you could sing... You can can you sing "You Give Me Fever" to me because that would do it for me right now. I thought you were gonna ask for M O N T A N A. Ooh, that's I mean that that'll do it for me. That's very sultry. I thought for a second, Paul, that you caught a cold because somebody burned your socks the other week, and you just you couldn't go to sleep without that warmth around your feet. Nor do I have any water to you know um you know keep myself hydrated either. That got dumped out by some asshole. Yes, yeah, so you can hear we are uh, making great sacrifices to bring you the finest in Survivor podcast entertainment. Again, the Survivor Historians, we are back. It's been many months since we've recorded anything. Uh, yeah. It's kind of a uh, homecoming here, so it's nice to meet you guys, Jay, uh, Paul, and uh, the, I can't even call you the temp anymore. But Mike, it's good to see you guys again. Just call me uh, the, 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 the silver medal Mikey B, because obviously Mike Barassi uh, takes the gold in that standard. Well, you know, it, it's tough, Mario, because, you know, you've been podcasting lately and, and you know, Mike, of course, is, is a podcasting sensation and, and things like that. And, you know, Paul does things from time to time. Literally, I have to, like, dust off my podcast booth in here, you know, every once in a while. It's it's almost like I, I get wakened, awakened from a coffin or something and they're like, what's going on? Historians. Oh, here we, we are. We have raised Jay from the dead. We have given him a purpose in life. And here we are, season 19, Survivor Samoa. And oh my goodness, is there a lot to say about this one. <laughs> and because, because, of that, because of that, I must say, you made me watch Samoa. And I didn't hate it. Yeah, that's, I sort of have the same opinion as well. And look, coming into the season, I think we sort of talked about this at the end of our Token Sheens podcast, which again seems like eons ago at this point. But I'm not a huge fan of Samoa at least in retrospect. I will say, you know, we're probably going to talk about the first five episodes in this group. I'll say that episodes four and five, for what they're worth, are pretty dang good. I'm not a huge fan of episodes one through three, mainly because of the big specter of a person that is Ben Browning and everything that's involved with him that I'm sure we're going to get into, but there are some interesting things going on with episodes four and five. I think there's a lot of connotation behind this season as this is Russell and only Russell. That's what Survivor Samoa is, but I think we're starting to, through this rewatch, be able to take a look through those cracks and uh, find that there are there are some interesting things to talk about. Yeah, and I will even go a little bit further that I've always liked Samoa. It was one of those things when I rewatched it for the Funny 115, it just jumped out at me as being one of these seasons. It's especially fun. There's a lot of interesting things going on. I think in my book, which is uh, called uh, When It Was Worth Playing For, if uh, people would like to check that out, I have a little thing in the back where I list my favorite seasons, and I believe at the time... I listed Samoa as my 10th favorite season of all time. So 
it's not really pulling teeth to get me to watch the season. So this is something I hope uh, maybe I can get like, that will come through the podcast to people when we get into this, that I've always loved this season. And I even on this rewatch, we watched five episodes this weekend and I liked all five episodes. I think through five episodes, I think this is a very strong season. And I'm expecting, obviously, some pushback from you guys because that's what you do. And uh, but I will say before we get into this. A very odd feeling has uh, come up around historians lately, and it's just with our listeners, our audience and stuff. There is an enormous amount of scrutiny on this season in particular, and I have noticed it. I know the other guys have noticed it as well, that fans are very, very interested in what we're going to say about Samoa, and if we say it in a way that will please them. And it's just it's there's just been a lot of nitpicking out there of people saying you have to mention this, you have to explain this, you have to do this. And again, it's way more in this season than other ones. And I I, I obviously know why, because this is the Russell season. But have you guys felt that as well? I mean, no. But yes, I, I get what you're talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little purposely obtuse here, but uh, I, I I can see that as 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 happening. I will say that, you know, I I don't get I don't get email, Mario. And, you know, you, you, you're the one that, you know, um, I'm not going to say I would the negative way I would say it is you're trolling all the things for, you know, all of the your Mario-ness and stuff like that. But at the same time, I think that, you know, you you're sort of at the forefront of, you know, the social media aspect of the Survivor Historian. So I think that you feel it a little more acutely than, you know, me who has to, you know, be woken from the dead to dust out my podcast. But I, I, I understand what you're saying. You're saying that, you know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about Samoa. You know, I, a lot of the seasons that we do in retrospect, you know, when we first did the podcast, all those seasons ago, before Mike even, you know, BM. those were right. Total BM. This is a, this is a BM <laughs> podcast right here. Um, <laughs> but like before then, you know, a lot of those seasons are seasons that some of people that, we that that listened to us didn't catch maybe hadn't watched or or watched at some point a long long time ago and had forgotten the season so a lot of people have written emails to us and stuff that they're that they've relived you know the the early seasons through us or they they watched the the seasons and used us as a companion piece so that they can kind of process what was going on and stuff like that but i i think that it needs to be said that a lot of people's first season was samoa and if not that, a lot of people's rejuvenation or, or the rekindling of their love of Survivor happens right around now in these Samoa heroes versus villains kind of era, which is going to catapult us into sort of the next era of Survivor. So I think that it, this holds a very high esteem for people, even more than Micronesia, which we already talked about was kind of the beginning or the, the seeds, the genesis of the modern era. I think that Samoa is kind of that this this is the prime. This is the attitude era kind of coming out here in in this in this podcast so i think people have a lot invested in perhaps what we're going to say whether we're going to like it whether they're going to hate it and, and it's very polarizing because there are people that like it there are people that hate it and they want us to validate them and I, I, to, to them i have to say we're just going to do our thing like yeah. we always do don't pull a russell and try to threaten us and say that we're skating on thin ice because we've been there for a while now and we're just gonna keep on <laughs> skating but i guess on that note of you know what we're supposed to do as historians i guess we can talk a little bit about the press and all the marketing coming into this season just a bit. First, uh, I forgot to bring this up at the end of Token Sheens. I don't know if you guys noticed, uh, in the Token Sheens preview for this season, they said there would be 18 castaways, and we got 20. And I'm trying to remember if this is the first time they ever 
did that, whether they, like, increased the number. I don't know if this just means that they let the alternates onto the season. Samoa's also, like, the one season I probably never remember that it started with 20 castaways, just because, again, with the way things are edited, a lot of people sort of blend together, especially those foa foa women a bit. But, yeah, it, it was a weird thing where three months ago it was 18 people, then they filmed the season and they announced it as 20. A little bit of an anomaly there. Can you name the two alternates that went in, like, the night before? This is this isn't Survivor Stump, Paul. Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, I want to win a T-shirt. John Norton, hook me up. <laughs> I noticed nobody is nobody is uh, answering the question here. I don't know the answer to that, Paul. Um, and actually, I dug this up here as as um, as we started the show here because I wanted to. I love how I love how Paul asks the question because he knows the answer. <laughs> this is this is just well, fantastic stuff. <laughs> I'm saying that it was a that they were going to do 18 people up until the very last minute because um, Andy Denhart over on Reality Blurred. I remember very clearly this preseason. He did these kind of long form interviews. He was out on location in Samoa, and so a lot of my memories of the preseason for Samoa are based on these interviews he did. And um, the two contestants that were not going to be in the game until right up to the last minute were Ashley Trainer and Eric Cardona. Hmm. And so he did, he he mentions in these interviews with them that like the interview he has with Ashley is like the weirdest interview he's ever had because like he had to have the interview in the back of a van with her and they like cut him off halfway through and said sorry we gotta go we gotta go take her a CBS press now. So it got cut short and stuff because it really was a last minute decision. And I think some of that, I mean, obviously the role that Eric, well, Eric obviously plays a little bit bigger role in the grand scheme of things than Ashley uh, does. But I think sometimes what you see in survivors, when you get some of that information of what happened in the preseason, I think that kind of contributes to what happened in the early game about how Ashley was on the outside. And there really is quite a big uh, a difference in, like the fact that Ashley and Eric were not with them the whole time in Ponderosa and they were thrown in at the last minute, it kind of changes the dynamic. And I think that might be why she is such a target um, early on over on FOA FOA. Thank God that they put those alternates in, though, Paul, because if that wouldn't have happened, we would have never have gotten Eric the Tree Sprite. <laughs> Yeah, let's not mention that. Let's cut. Cut that out of the podcast, please. But it, it also, like, if you think about, like, I think about as I was reading these, uh, I went through and I watched the TV Guide special before Samoa, and I watched some of their pregame who, stuff. Who, who hosted this one? Uh, who do you think did they get from uh, uh, Token Chains to uh, host it? Well, let's see. JT, I don't know if you can read cue cards. Uh, so right, axed him. <laughs> yeah, uh, Steven, uh, I mean, Steven might have had, like, a full emotional breakdown b- when being asked to be on TV once more. Coach would have right. yeah. written his own script. Uh, Correct. Uh, let's see. I mean, I feel like Taj would be a good choice, right? Ding, 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 ding. And she was like, you know, probably the best host they ever had on there. So, uh, that was a good pick. And but they didn't even, you know, they didn't stick her in a zoo like they did, uh, whoever that was that they stuck in the apartment, right? Zoo. Yeah. Cause she was doing, she was previewing, uh, Gabon. <laughs> right. Um, no, they were, she just was like in LA and stuff. And, and, um, I, as I was watching all this pregame stuff, I was like, wow, they kind of really have these, they have I'm like, who did they, who were they like maybe nervous about? Who was Eric going to maybe step in for? And I really feel like he was the backup to Ben. Um, thinking if like Ben had some kind of like psychotic breakdown because they both are like, they both kind of have these lines about being super womenizers and like they're, um, they're both bartenders. They, they each have, 
they're bartenders. They have three. They each have like a bunch of sisters and their mom. And so they never have a lady say no to them. And there's kind of these cocky guys. So I feel like they were kind of the foil for one of an, uh, for one another in that. But not, you know that isn't always isn't always the case that the alternate fills in for a specific person. Because do you remember this for a T-shirt? Which contestant was on Survivor 18 until the last minute when this person failed a medical test? It was Barassi, right? Barassi. And get this. Yes. Then. After and who went in? Who stepped in for Mike Barassi? Oh, Spencer Dumb. Right, the, totally the same archetype here. Then Mike Barassi lost forty pounds and came to Samoa. Can you imagine him forty plus forty pounds in token jeans? <laughs> like, what? Team. That's a good medical team letting this guy onto the show. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Mike Barassi, yeah, of- uh, uh, can you poop, Mike? <laughs> a lot of a lot of champion, which is why he got on there. Yeah, so a lot of interesting cast shifts, cast changing on here. And even one of the cast members in their pregame interview used the phrase, work hard, play hard. So I had a lot to work with going into this season. I just assumed when Probst was doing the promo for Samoa, he forgot about Brett and Kelly. That's my, that was my assumption. That would be logical. <laughs> all right, so with all that out of the way, we're going into Samoa here. One thing that I remember specifically about Samoa is that it was um, kind of like when Pearl Islands came before All-Stars. It was kind of like the season you had to get through to get to the good one. And I know Samoa was announced and it was uh, there was another All-Stars right after it, Heroes versus Villains. And I remember them saying, there's one guy on Samoa, he's a villain. He's going to be on the Villains tribe in Heroes versus Villains. Did they, did they specifically name Russell as that person or did we have to figure that out later? I'm trying to remember the details there. I just remember... remember, remember that one of we knew going into the season that one person was going to be very important and he was going to be in Heroes versus Villains. I don't remember the press saying anything about him being in Heroes versus Villains, but I do remember there was a lot of press around one guy this season is like a, a mentalist. He's one of the biggest villains we've ever seen on Survivor. And I remember as it actually got closer to the air date, they actually revealed that it was going to be Russell H, or as Jeff refers to him in his uh, cast preview, Russell Haunts. Which is just a, a weird, like now looking back on it, it's so weird that the first thing Jeff says about him, it completely bungles his last name. But I don't remember anything, just specifically the specific press saying anything about, here's this guy, Russell Hans, who's also going to be on the next season. Because that would be like a spoiler to end all spoilers, essentially. But I do remember them naming Russell and also saying that he was going to be one of the biggest villains ever on this season. Okay. But yeah, very much this was like Pearl Island. It was kind of the season you had to get through to get to the big one. Would you, do you guys remember that as well? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember like from just like the online community, it being like everyone knew what was coming and everyone knew that Russell was going to be on that, whether or not that, you know, that obviously wasn't being said in the, like said officially by press or whatnot, but like you knew that's what was coming and it was all about watching Russell and to refer to another interview here with Andy Denhart on reality blurred, he like starts off his interview about Russell saying, if you haven't heard of Russell Hans right now, you haven't turned on CBS in the last week. The network has been blanketed with promos calling him evil, blah, 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 blah. So, um, I mean, they really were like, you got to see this guy, Russell. Yeah. And that's one of the criticisms that has been lobbied towards Samoa over the years, that it's really just a commercial for heroes versus villains, that there's no reason for the season to exist other than we have to build Russell up to make him worthy of being in this all-star season coming right after it. And you'll you'll definitely want to see him square off against the legends. So it's like, that's one of the criticisms. I know we'll get into that a lot if that's fair or not. But I know that's one thing that's been said many, many times over the years by many different people that that's the problem with Samoa. It's really just a commercial for the next season. 
Right, but but I guess we need to start talking about it. You know, I I don't want to you know I we I want to get into the episodes because because we have a lofty goal here tonight, and you know not not forever to do this, but by that same token, we're going to talk about Russell quite a bit in a lot of ways, but I, I feel like it's weird because I think the people who are big pro Russell fans are going to say, you guys were too harsh on Russell. And I think the people who are very anti Russell are going to say, you guys took it easy on Russell. But, you know, I feel like, I feel like all four of us are probably on the same page, just thinking that, you know, really toward a lot of Russell Hans's gameplay and just general, you know, things, but, but we need to talk about Russell, the TV character, Russell, the person in the survivor lore, like he is the catalyst for a lot of things that's going to happen into the future. And you have to, you have to pay attention to that. And you guys are talking about this, this, this extreme press blitz before the season starts about Russell and it doesn't let up as the season goes on. But by that same token, you have to remember this is the 19th season of survivor survivor. Now is not what it was and that's okay. I'm not, dissing the show but but we talked about how when survivor was a national phenomenon in those first couple of seasons of the show now it is a niche reality show it's got its target it's got its audience it's a pretty steady group of viewers it's not necessarily growing but but survivor always has to has to every once in a while does something that crosses back over into the mainstream and russell certainly was that yeah even people who don't like russell aka me and people like me I would fully acknowledge that this is okay. First off, would you guys all agree? This is without question, one of the most important survivor seasons completely. Yeah. I'd say yes. even outside yes. of Russell as a player, I mean, just the stuff that he does, even in these first few episodes, we're going to talk about it. But the fact that Russell, for example, pulls a hoga boom and finds an idol without a clue from now on, almost every Survivor season, you're going to have people starting to just put their hands in trees looking for idols from the very beginning without clues. That's just one drop in the bucket of the effect that Russell and his gameplay is going to have on Survivor players from here on out. Yeah. Russell is going to do a lot of things. It's the equivalent of throwing this, throwing this pasta at the wall and seeing if it sticks, you know, or, or that sort of thing. Like, he's going to do a lot of stuff. And some of the things we're going to talk about and and go wow that was stupid or that was dumb or that was interesting and kind of go because it didn't stick but as mike said finding an idol without a clue you know just looking in obvious spots for idols things like that this is going to change the gameplay but not only just russell himself but the idea of russell the concept of russell and how jeff probst and sort of the production team and just survivor in themselves valued what russell did and therefore created a narrative valuing what Russell did, which therefore changes the process for future seasons, valuing things that Russell does. does. Yeah, absolutely. And I will have to get one thing out of the way. There's kind of an elephant in the room here that I many people know that I've written some articles out there that are not kind to Russell that explain that he's not a particularly strong player. And again, we, we're going to try our best to be accurate and... Uh, not lean any specific way in any one direction. We'll try to be as fair as we can here. And I will be the first one to admit that uh, they are, there are two types of survivor fans in the world. The ones who really think Russell is a fantastic player. And then the smart cyber survivor fans, which are the other side. So, <laughs> sorry, I just had to, I have to get my digs in while I can. I will do my best to give Russell credit, but yeah, it's going to be a tough one here. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready to delve into 
episode one of Survivor Samoa, starting off with a Brett confessional. So we, we, wait, we, we've gotten pre-show out of the way, yes? Yes, we're done. Mar- pre-show's Mar- done. Mario, Mario has plugged his book, yes? Yes. yes. Not in the Can we check off the hat box? Yeah. Okay, we, we, are, we are ready. Yes, let's right. please, uh, Mario. This let's, is, let's, no, this is season 19. Mario hasn't written fanfic in like 48 years. That's so right. let's, let's keep going. That. No, but I just really want to, Mario, I want you to explore your theory of how important that first confessional is. <laughs> yes. As on, always, Mario. yeah, they want, they would like to set the tone in a season. And it's like, as they, as they say in Major League Baseball, sometimes you can tell how a season is going to go by what the first batter of the season does. And as, as always, we start off Samoa just perfectly in the Russell-heavy season, the, the most important season in this era of Survivor. It starts off with a confessional from Brett of, of Galoo, which may indeed be his last confessional this season, but that is how we are going to start off this crazy-ass season. Well, like Jay said, it's the 19th season. I think CBS is just showing off their new CGI technology, right? They really <laughs> want to showcase it. And that will probably be hopefully the last reference I make to CGI Brett because that became such a big thing that blew up out of the funny 115. <laughs> I want to talk for a second as we're sort of getting into this opening boat paddling, waves crashing behind Jeff Probst. I want to talk a little bit about Samoa itself as a location because it's been a minute, right? We've gone a full calendar year of seasons where we've been inland. We really haven't seen the water so it's incredible that we get back to the beach of sorts with Samoa. And, you know, there's a reason why they're going to be in Samoa for the next three seasons or the for 20 and then 23 and 24. There's a reason why both seasons of the refurbished Australian Survivor have been there as well. It's pretty picturesque. I mean, those crags that they have these giant waves crashing against are the sites of quite a couple of infamous challenges in Australian Survivor in particular. But... You can look at the water, but that's all you're pretty much going to do. I think, unfortunately, I remember reading at the time that the the tides were just nasty out there at the time. And there's going to be an episode that talks about it later on with the confessional from Eric. But you think that, oh, great, we're back in the water. This means water challenges galore. Not so much with Samoa, unfortunately. Yeah, there are water challenges, but it's the challenge of trying not to die when the water pours down on them. That's the challenge. Yeah, that's true. There's there's rain coming. There's water coming from the sky, from the ground. There's a lot of things that are just trying to kill them. Uh, heart, well, yeah, heart, blood pressure, uh, exhaustion. All the elements are against them. This well, it, it's it's the Dan K special. We're about the water. <laughs> we're, we're we're in, you know, we're it's it, it, it's as it goes. Uh, it's a really strong beginning. You know, it's it's sort of you know back to the not not back to the roots or anything like that or token genes back to basics but it's it's a real you know it's sort of what you think about when you think of survivor in a lot of ways you know just people the castaways paddling towards shore paddling towards something i think that's a really good thing it does strike me as odd because i do understand that there are parts or islands or or bits of 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 the greater samoa area that are remote but you know when jeff was talking you know his his usual jeff things where he's like this is samoa unforgiving weather and you know, rough terrain and all that sort of stuff. And he's just says, it's veritably, you know, deserted. There's nobody here. And I'm like, it's Samoa. There's 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 Samoans there, right? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure the Samoans were shocked to know that they lived in such a remote place. <laughs> like, there's nobody here. And they're like, who are these guys? <laughs> the interesting thing, yeah, I believe they actually had to, like, go into the market to, like, get the fish guts and stuff that they use for the smoothie challenge. It's not like they picked them up off the ground or anything. Like, there are actually people selling things there. Uh, I do think it's interesting as well that, you know, Token Sheens did this first impressions opening to go along with the, hey, let's vote off Sandy and Sierra twist. 
they kept using that motif for this one as well, but it really doesn't pay off outside of the leader thing. So, like you said, Mario, we get Brett talking about how Shambo looks super outdoorsy, and then we get Shambo talking about how people gravitate towards her entire life. They say, oh my god, who's this chick? We love her. Uh, you got Marisa talking to Russell. So, it's interesting that while we get a sort of first impression stuff going on with the leader twist, they, they decided to carry that over. They thought that worked really well with introducing some people in token chains. And that, boys and girls, by the way, is probably why they're on Survivor and you're not, for the most part, at home, is when you have Shambo, somebody who is Shambo, and, you know, ob- obviously interviews are usually taken slightly out of context in here or there, but literally, out of context or not, she did say in an interview... I am the type of person where people gravitate toward me and say, who is that person? She rocks. She literally said that. That's a yeah. thing that was said. <laughs> and that is exactly how Galoo is going to treat her. Like, we, Shambo rocks. Let's gravitate towards her. We love her. <laughs> no, we, we, we want to hit Shambo with rocks. That's more so their attitude towards her. I'm going to have, actually, I got some notes, some positive things about Shambo. Oh, my God, my voice sounds horrible. Um, I really was dream. <laughs> I uh, wasn't, I actually wasn't screaming for Shambo this, you know, uh, today during the rewatch, but I do have some good things to say about Shambo when we get to them. But I do want to point out something about Shambo, and that is, I think we can all be super, super thankful that we never got Shambo again. Like, one and done. <laughs> like, she is what she is. You watch this, I had like, a, a, a refound, like, appreciation for her, but let's just be happy that she never played again. I told this to my wife. She said, knock on wood. It, like, it's to never say never. I said, okay, I don't think she's coming back. I, I do. I, I think in a world where we've seen Melissa McCarthy take the comic world by storm, I almost have a greater appreciation for Shambo. I know that's super weird, but now, like, I can't imagine Shambo without imagining Melissa McCarthy putting on that mullet wig and killing the heck out of this character. So that's <laughs> given me some newfound appreciation for her in particular. So Shambo's a character? That's Melissa McCarthy doing shtick? I, that's kind of what I'm sort of imagining Shambo as, unfortunately. I know she's <laughs> she's Shannon Lee. She's got a whole persona that's completely separated. But, like, I don't know. That's all I can kind of think of now. It, it makes me inherently enjoy her much more. Yeah, personally, there's two things I have to say about Shambo since we're doing first impressions here. The first is the wonderful combination of the first name Shannon and the nickname Rambo becoming Shambo. We will not see a nickname that majestic until Benry a couple seasons later. So I just have to point that out. She's the original Benry. And then I have to point out that Shannon is from my neck of the woods. She is a native Washingtonian, which makes me hate Washington. So <laughs> she looks familiar. I know. Yeah, she is one of she is one your of dopp- my people. Doppelganger. She is my dad. She's just like me. We're 100 percent identical right down the line. Here's what I like about Shambo, though. And, and, and I, I agree with you. Uh, Paul and and even and Mike with with the with the positive Shambo and the in the resurgence of Shambo in, in the sense that Shambo's refreshing in a lot of ways because I I think that you know we're we're past the era of Survivor where people are going on Survivor because they're going to try to parlay this into being a movie star or or things like that it, it's too niche now but I think people are trying to get on the show and parlay it into being a reality star so you can maybe do other reality shows or Survivor again or or blah 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 so. Uh, everyone who's trying to do something, it seems like it it's perhaps a little trumped up for the cameras or a little shtick. But it, it seems Shambo is as bull in a china shop as you can get. <laughs> and and it, to me, it seems like it all seems genuine. You know what I mean? Whereas like with Coach, you can tell there's a bit of, you know, the person behind 
the, the, the mask there pulling the strings a little bit. Like, yeah, he's a little weird, but, you know, he's also, you know, trying to control a narrative of himself and stuff like that, whereas Shambo's just out there doing the thing, and this is what we see. Yeah. And again, all kidding aside, I really like Shambo as a character. Yeah. I think she adds a lot to this season, and that's one of the arguments when people will eventually say, well, it's only Russell. Like, no, it's not. Shambo's right behind him a lot of the airtime, so... Yeah, she's a good character. I really appreciate the authenticity she brings to the show. And I just have to say, on a personal level, level, I mean, she was a Marine in real life. She's probably a bit of a badass. So, I mean, she's more power to her. Yeah, more power and to her. She's, she's kind of a, a disaster once we get to the social scenes. But, you know, more power to her for just being herself and doing her thing. And yeah. a quick uh, footnote on her name, Mario, is that uh, Jeff reveals in his in the cast assessment that he uh, they didn't know she was going to go by Shambo. Like that never came up in casting at all. They're always <laughs> going to call her Shannon. He's like, then on the and if you notice when he first on the beach, he's like, you, you know, how he puts on the shtick. Now we've talked about this where he's like, you, you in the purple. What's your name? And he acts like he's never met these people before. She says Shambo. And he's like, Shambo, Shambo. <laughs> he's like, we had no idea that was coming. Isn't that an infomercial? Isn't that one of the products they sell, the Shambo? It's, well, her hair looks like a mop, so it pretty it's, it wipes up probably just as well as a ShamWow. But I, I don't know. I, we should be calling her Shambo, right? That's the proper way of pronunciation, according to Eric. Shambo. Right, that's how yeah. I have that in my notes, like the accent mark over the O. Shambo, or it's Cajun, B-E-A-U-X, like Shambo. <laughs> Ooh, she's a like Cajun, that. yeah. She's from the swamps. <laughs> <laughs> she screams Louisiana. <laughs> Wow, I'm a, I'm a hit in Mardi Gras. They're saying, Shambo, we love you. <laughs> All right. Shambo lost the beads. She lost the beads. She's the worst Mardi Gras. Flip insert, flip. insert, insert clay. <laughs> and boy, she's built for the bikinis. <laughs> no, she, she's got her jogging bra on. She's totally, there's just so much <laughs> good stuff about Shambo. We're so much good stuff about Shambo. <laughs> okay, so let's get this back on track here since we literally talked about none of the season and we're half an hour in here. Okay. So, episode one. You know, I, I mean, it's an aside. Yes, Jay, you, please you, interrupt me. You keep saying, like, you know, this is this is episode one of Samoa. Like, episode one of every season we do, for the most part. Like, there are some, like, token genes where we're like, yep, that's the episode. But most of these times we're like, oh, we're totally going to do this many episodes. And then it's like, dude, we're an hour in. We haven't even, like, started episode one. How could you ever think we were going to get through the episodes <laughs> you think we're going to get through? <laughs> Here we are, the uh, most professional Survivor podcast out there. Airing all our dirty laundry. Okay, so... Let's talk about the podcast while we do the podcast. This is how we do it. (laughs) All right. Episode one. So we get to the beach. And this is the one where Jeff says, all right, we're going to have our first challenge right off the bat. And this is a... First impressions, very important in this game. And we've heard a couple. We heard, you know, Brett saying Shambo looks like a... I forget what he says, crazy person or whatever. And then we hear that Russell looks like a pit bull... And we hear that uh, Dave Ball has arms that are 10 feet long or something like that. I forget if they mentioned that or if that was just my inner monologue. But then, so Jeff says, right now you're going to vote for a leader. It's very important to have a leader out here. So we're going to vote for the de facto leader of your tribe. And this is the first uh, really bit of character development in the season here. I really like this twist, especially in the ramifications that it has. Because, you know, with the Sandy and Sierra stuff, that was sort of like a one and done thing. But I really like the election of the leader and the leaders sort of having roles in the rest of the pre-merge, whether it's, you know, deciding who gets to sit out or it's deciding which reward do you want to take. I sort of like that it has ramifications down the line. We'll see it. You know, Mick will definitely take much more of a backseat role, as, but 
Russell Swan is going to take it by the horns, for better or for worse. But I love that in the voting, we were this close to getting Shambo as the first leader of Galoo. And we'll get her eventually after what happens with Russell Swan. But can you imagine Galoo in these first few episodes with Shambo leading them? Yeah, I mean, it's it goes without saying Galoo is a very successful tribe. They do very, very well in this game. But yeah, Shambo as the leader may not have had that same result. I'm not sure. Yeah, the the votes for the people in Galoo, it's Russell Swan gets the most votes, and you know the, the people are describing him in fun ways. And and uh, Shambo gets a, Lennox Lewis <laughs> better better looking Lennox Lewis being the best one. And then uh, you know what we have um, uh, Eric the Tree Sprite getting a bunch of votes, <laughs> and Shambo getting a bunch of votes. <laughs> Good job, Galoo. Way to go. <laughs> Let's see, and over on Foa Foa, who's their leader? So, uh, <clears throat> Mick is so let's there. see, we have yeah, Mick ends up winning the vote with Jason right behind. And then the yep. one stray vote where Russell votes for Marisa, which is not, su- yeah, not surprising that Russell goes for the hot girl immediately, the hot young girl. Yeah, considering his ballots for the Survivor Hall of Fame for the past few years, it makes absolute sense. <laughs> Did he vote for Marisa for the Hall of Fame? I mean, not as bad as Marisa, but I mean, we're going like the Stephanie Valencia, Krista Klump route in terms of pre-merge women. Okay, so you vote for Boo too, right? Yeah, (laughs) Boo Boo was not our first ballot Hall of Famer. He'll maybe be the second ballot, second time around. All right, so yeah, so we have our leaders. We have Russell Swan. We have Mick, the feckless one on Foa Foa. And I have to say this, just with joy in my heart, can anybody here? Please do an impression of Russell Swan. Is that too much to ask for? Can somebody have to do that voice? Well, I want, Paul, I, want, I, want, I want Paul to do it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm working on my, sh- my, uh, my, sh- my uh, Miss Mardi Gras sh- uh, Shambo accent. So. No, I'm pretty sure uh, yeah. Paul can only do Mike Holloway at this point. <laughs> yeah. Getting ready. Can't wait for that in 10 years. <laughs> going to do the happy dance. <laughs> I voted for Shambo. <laughs> my girl Shambo. There you go. That's close. Like, okay. I don't know. Hopefully someone will get a Russell Swan accent or a impression because he's one of my favorites and I can't do his voice, but it's so distinct. He's got this high pitched kind of whiny little accent. I just would love to see if we can get that. But anyway, there's our two leaders, Russell Swan and Mick, the feckless one. And uh, at this point, they have to start making decisions. There's going to be a challenge right away. So let's see. What are the decisions they have to make? They have to choose the, who best they swimmer. think the best swimmer will be on their tribe. Strongest. The strongest. The most agile, agile and the uh, smartest. Mardi Gras green or the smartest. <laughs> yes. And also the female Marine with the best mullet. They have to choose that one. Uh, this is, th- I-, I love this right off the bat again, just because first Russell Swan saying, yeah, my young Brazilian looking guy over there, uh, referring to John, not exactly the most appropriate thing considering uh, right after Mick decides to break down uh, boundaries of stereotypes by picking Jason to do the swimming. Yeah, <laughs> just like so specific, like there, my Peruvian looking brother over there. <laughs> well, let's or my, my African Jason queen thing. with braids for Yasmin. <laughs> let's mention yeah. this Jason thing, because for years, that is the thing on Survivor that, you know, as Sean uh, Rector once said, brothers can't swim, ain't no pools in the hood. So we get Jason, who happens to be a world class water polo player and swimmer, and somehow Mick just lucks into that that he's the best swimmer. So more power to Survivor to for be, breaking stereotypes. 
Yeah, though there's got to have been there. I'm like, I mean, maybe Mick just did that, but I feel like these people spend so much time together. The casting process um, in Ponderosa, like I've, you've heard, I've, you hear so many stories about people being like, "Oh, I I recognize so and so. They were in the pool uh, during my casting thing." I feel like you kind of get a sense of who the big athletes are and the swimmers are, even going into the game, just because you're with each other for so long and you can't talk. So all you do is observe how the other people behave. That's always kind of the sense I've gotten from this. Yeah. So do you yeah, think Mick, Jason Mick, was in the pool playing water polo by himself? Like solo exactly. water polo? Okay. Well, yes. well Mick, I, I mean, I really have to give Mick credit here. He really is breaking down representation and what we sort of view on it on Survivor, which is why he puts the puzzle on the Asian girl. <laughs> yeah oh that goes over well this is a fun my wife enjoyed this when we were watching it today yeah so let's go over the choices here we got oh, the best swimmer I, I, oh, sorry yeah. go ahead jake interrupt me go ahead yeah yeah i'm gonna interrupt you again because this is the one that i called i remember at the time watching the show because you know they we had that moment you know where he says who's the best swimmer and stuff like that and you know i was still learning their names but i was like the tall dude in the back is the best swimmer mm-hmm. you know and it was and i remember calling that and then he picked Jason, and then we have this nice thing about Jason basically saying, um, you know, I didn't think that he'd pick me because the stereotype is is that African-Americans can't swim and I'm a water polo player. But I just, you know, he looks like a swimmer. I, I don't know how to, yeah. how to describe it anymore. He's got that. Swimmers always have, you know, like competitive swimmers or water polo players, people who spend a lot of time just doing a ton of swimming have that, I call it the triangle almost. It's like they have real broad shoulders you know, up top and it kind of, you know, slenders down and it, it's, it's a very distinct sort of body type to kind of go through the water. And Jason has the swimmer's body. Like it just, it just looks like yeah. he can swim. And, and I feel like, you know, I think that Paul is probably more right in the sense that, you know, something was picked up or let loose or, or something like that, that, that Jason could swim. But if it, if it didn't, I mean, I feel like Mick can take one look at Jason and go, he swims. Yeah, Absolutely. Although the thing with water polo I never understood is how do they get the horses underwater? Yeah, right. I always thought that was the oddest thing. They give them a scuba. (laughs) Scuba horses. Paul, when someone explained to Paul that we're kidding. (laughs) Polo, water polo. (laughs) Okay, so anyway, yeah. So uh, John Fincher gets picked as a swimmer for Galoo. Jason for Foa Foa. Now we go to the strongest. And of course, yeah. Well, let's just go that the challenge is already over at this point. But yes, let's go. Let's go to the the strongest. (laughs) Again, Mick, no dummy, Mick. Uh, what's Mick's last name? I always forget his last Trimming. name. Trimming. Trimming. Mick Trimming. Oh, I'm sure there won't be any jokes on that one. Okay. Yeah, so no dummy, Mick Trimming. Sees the you, guy who's short and squat and looks like a pit bull. Thinks that guy's probably pretty strong. So he does a good choice with Russell here. And on the other tribe, Russell Swan picks uh, Eric Cardona. So those are our, uh, yep, good picks. And now we well, go to the it most... was it, it was heavy logs. He figured the tree sprite could probably magically <laughs> lift the logs. Well, the question that I have is, could the leaders put themselves in? Could Russell Swan have said, like, I will step in and be the strong person? Do you think Jeff would have allowed that? That's a good question. That's a fantastic question. I, I don't know I, the answer because I think he would have. I think he would have. I oh, feel like Jeff would have got had he would have had such a hard on for that. Yeah, I think I'll put myself in. Thank you. Oh. Wow, Russell, what a move, stepping yeah. <laughs> up for his tribe, leader leader of the tribe, and taking on the most challenging part of the challenge. Survivor Samoa is on. 
I, I love that. I love that we're in season 19 and Jeff Probst is literally just a character of himself at this point. <laughs> yeah. I would have loved to see coach as the captain. Then he could have named himself for every leg. Yeah. That would have I, I, I will. I will do everything. Then he <laughs> asks for the most agile uh, people. And so uh, for glue, uh, <laughs> what, who does Russell pick Mike? My African queen with braids. Thank you. And, and Marissa. Uh, Marissa and for Mar- the other one. And Marissa. Marissa. And Marissa. 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 <laughs> Yes. So, and then we get to the last one, which is smartest. And here come some fun ones. And Russell? Who does Russell pick? <laughs> Russell goes for Shambeau. Shambeau. <laughs> Sh- Shambeau. Just going, oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> Just, it's, it's like we get immediately that Shambeau has no filter, considering that she could have contained at least some of her disappointment, but she decides to muse it. She says, I'm smart in the ways of life. But as far as book smart, dear God, please help me here. <laughs> which which I love, which I love. I love that when she says, I'm smart in the way of life, which is, again, just akin to the whole people gravitate toward me and love me. And then she says, but dear God, I'm not book smart. And I'm sitting there going like, I would love if the fourth leg of this challenge was, all right, crack open a book and uh, give me a research outline. I want you to cite your sources, please. Translate this Cajun dialect into standard English. <laughs> Here comes Shambai you, ready to take care of it. You know, it, and that's the whole thing with Shambo. It's a bull in the china shop. Like, you know, you can it's clear at this point that, you know, a lot of people in on the show have seen Survivor or seen parts of it or understand the game and stuff like that. So when, you know, Jeff's like, who's the smartest? It's like, okay, you can see like best swimmer, they're gonna swim. Strongest, they're gonna, you know, lift something or, or carry something. Uh, agile, they're gonna have to do something with balance. And then it's like smartest. It's gonna be a puzzle, Shambo. It's 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 going to be a puzzle of some sort. Like it's Survivor. It's always a puzzle, and unless it's a later season in which you do like carnival games. But he didn't ask who was good at carnival games. He asked who was the smartest. It's a puzzle, and she's just like, "I'm not book smart," and I'm like, "It's a puzzle." <laughs> Mike, I have to say, you mentioned you keep calling Shambo a bull in a china shop, and the first comp that comes to my mind is Chris Farley because literally he would be a bull in a china shop crashing into stuff. So I just picture yeah. them calling on Shambo, calling her the smartest, and she busts out with a Chris Farley. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then he, you know, then he uh, Matt Foley's himself like through the coffee table, you know, just well. That's what if Shambo was leader in the beginning of Galoo, it would be like Matt Foley a bit. <laughs> you have to get on the right track, Eric. You've been in the tree rolling doobies. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the uh, <laughs> the more. Con- <laughs> Let's see what would be controversial part of this episode. We'll jump into it real quick. And we're not even to Ben yet, but here we go. So Mick, we're going to pick the smartest one. So Mick, by default, will pick the Asian one. So there you go. So Mick uh, Mick will immediately pick uh, Liz as the smartest one in the tribe. And then we get a confessional where she's upset about this, which is a fun little subplot right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, but it has to be said, this, this is... <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not defending it, and I don't think... It isn't necessarily something that anyone should be like super proud of, but it's a stereotype that's out there and there you open yourselves up for it on this thing when you're like, all right, everybody, let's do things on first impressions without knowing anybody. A lot of times, you know, people fall back into familiar and probably incorrect and unfair stereotypes. It's just what happens. Well, and then, I mean, there's, and I feel like there's not that much Liz that we're going to talk about in this season because she's very much a forgettable um, survivor character. But the woman went to three Ivy League schools over the course of her 
um, education at the time of Samoa. She was working for um, uh, um, the mayor of New York, something in their urban planning development. So the woman is actually like super, super, super smart and accomplished. Yep. Yeah, yeah. she's smart, and and that's how it goes. Is, wait, is she smart in the ways of life, or is she book smart, though? That's the real key question. Smart in the way of books. <laughs> okay, so Mick goes with his instinct, picks the Asian kid as the smart one, and ends up being correct here, even though it may not be the right way to do it, it ends up being the right call. So we end up going through all the uh, obstacle course. They will each do a leg. The swimmers do one thing. The strong people do another thing. The agile people do something. And then the, the smart ones have to do a puzzle, which, again, surprises nobody. And the winner of this wins a flint. So one tribe will have an advantage over the other one. They will be able to uh, light the fire. And uh, here we go. So who ends up winning this one? The, it's the dominant tribe that will end up dominating this entire game, right? I love that. So Foa Foa, spoiler alert, wins this. Pretty much it's because Jason gets out to an early lead, beats John Fincher to the box to get to key, and then Russell sort of uh, kills that log. Everyone actually does a really good job, even though Shambo does a much better job than she initially expects with doing the puzzle. But I do love that after this segment, Foa Foa gets the flint, and Jeff says, okay, Galoo, you're the underdogs. It's it's much like Survivor Palau, where everyone was like, oh, Karor, you're the underdogs right off the bat. You have all the, the old, weak people. And looking back on things now, it's crazy to think about. Yeah, this will be the last challenge Foa Foa is going to win for a while, not to spoil it too much. But yeah, right. don't get used to that. I, 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 you have to give credit like, you know, uh, Russell did well on his leg and, and Marisa did fine on her leg and and uh, Liz got the puzzle together and stuff like that. But it was just it was Jason beating uh, John Fincher by a country mile on the on the the swimming because it seemed like, you know, and, and Prope's narration you can't take uh, for a grain of salt, but it seemed like for the rest of the challenge the the lead was either sort of kept the same or perhaps maybe Galoo cut into the lead a tiny, tiny bit, but it's not like it was super close at any point. It was, you know, Jason got a big lead on the, on the swimming thing and then everyone else kind of held serve on their leg and then, you know, it sort of just played out that Foa Foa then got the win and Shambo completed the puzzle. Yes, and please, it's not John Fincher, it's Juan Fincher. <laughs> See. <laughs> Okay, so Foa Foa gets the uh, flint, and they're going to run out to a big advantage in this game now. They're just going to dominate the game the rest of the way. So let's go over to Camp Foa Foa, and uh, let's see. Let's see how well they mesh and how well they work together. Mm, yes, especially since they are led at camp by Ben, uh, who said, <laughs> where did he say before that living in Missouri, he has like shot, hunted, and skinned everything that's, that's legal and some stuff that is not legal? Excellent. That's what you want from your leader right there. Admitting to a crime right on the first confessional. All right, yeah, so Ben Browning takes over. And I will admit, I hadn't seen Samoa in a long time. I completely forgot that a Ben Browning had ever been on Survivor. It was kind of a shock that's, watching this that's, episode. That's probably wise. Yeah, and realizing yeah, what a for big the best. character. He was a big character for three episodes. So yeah, so Ben takes over and he's like, look, guys, I'm a hillbilly. I know how to start fires. I know how to do with all this stuff. I'll be the leader, basically. He basically you know, cock blocks Mick right off the bat and says, I'm the leader. Sorry, dude. And now let's go over to Russell. And this is going to be our first experience with the, the Russell haunts experience. Yeah, this is the, uh, I mean, he's going to say it. There's no way about it. He calls it the dumbass girl Alliance. And this is another thing that if we're talking about elements of Russell's game that carry over, I mean, I feel like when you start off in survivor, 
you tend to make connections, but Russell, I feel like, is one of the first people to be adamant about the specific one-on-one alliances on day one. He goes to, as he says, the dumb short-haired blonde, the even dumber long-haired blonde, and the dark-haired girl, as well as the old lady, which I'm sure we'll get to. But he's very adamant about saying, I want to make specific twosomes with them, so I have them under my control, which... Again, these first few days are usually about just sussing out who's getting along with who and building the camp. But Russell even admits, I'm not for that whatsoever. I'm about making alliances, which up to that point really hadn't been outright talked about in Survivor. Well, he even in his pregame stuff, he was telling people he's going to make a dumbass girl alliance. Like this was his M.O. going in. A lot of things he ends up doing are he says in his pregame press, I'm going to dump out water and I'm going to create chaos and I'm going to hide the flinch and I'm going to do all these things. Uh, Most things end up coming true. The one thing that's not is he says he really wants to go to the end with three um, guys in the end like because it really should be three guys sitting at the end. Let's do the first time. We can never do that. But for the most part, all this stuff is premeditated. He knows going in exactly what he's going to do. Yeah. And I, this is, a, of course, a good place to point out that Russell Hans later voted the fan favorite award, uh, with starting with the scene where he names the three dumbass girls, and that's the name of his alliance. So just it was, pointing it was out a different the, uh, time, Mario, late yeah, 2009. <laughs> we were in a different time. The wonderful consistency of the Survivor fan base applauding Russell. Okay, yeah. although I, we, I should mention this off the bat. This is something that will come up later. Had Russell actually watched Survivor before? I know there's this will become a big thing later down the road that, oh, Russell's a big fan of the game. He respects the game. What is the true story? How much of Survivor did Russell really know coming into this season? Well, you know what he was initially going to be cast for, right? Pirate Master. Pirate Master. <laughs> yeah. So suffice it to say, probably not. Maybe Pearl Islands. I feel like, did we talk about this? I feel like he watched Micronesia, though, right? Because that's, that's how we got to know Parvati going into Heroes vs. Villains. I have heard that is the only season he had seen. He was a recruit for Survivor. They couldn't use him on Pirate Master. He ended up over here. If someone would like to write in and correct me and tell me I'm wrong, feel free. I don't, I'm don't. i not 100% sure on this, but it does smack me that he is someone who just maybe started watching Survivor. He understands the type of things that will get you to the end and do well in this game. But right off the bat, he's going to kind of miss the bigger point of Survivor, that the point is other people have to respect you and like you at the end. And again, it's this will be, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this endlessly, but I, he is not someone who deserves the reputation of someone who knew every single season and was a student of the game and had so much respect for Survivor. He was not a longtime Survivor viewer, and it's pretty obvious right off the bat with his strategy being so, you know... Uh, unconventional, just trying something new, there's a reason people hadn't done that before because it's not a very good long-term winning strategy. It's a long-term destruction and like sabotaging everyone else strategy, but it's one that may not win in the end. So again, it's something I'd like to point out here at the start. Well, there's two things at play here. The first is, and, and this is something we're going to talk about, is that he makes a lot of waves early. And a lot of times what happens to people who make a lot of waves early is they they get voted out because, you know, other people can't stand them and stuff like that. And yet Russell doesn't. And you have to look at that and think, well, one of two things is at play. Number one, he is totally in control and therefore, you know, he's he's swaying all the votes. Or the second one is, is that he's rubbing people the wrong way and they they they're like, wow, this Russell guy, he's rubbing me the wrong way. But they don't sense any like particular danger from him. Yes. Which which seems to go away from the narrative that we're fed. 
And that one seems the more likely scenario uh, as it goes. So that's a strike against uh, him in that sense. But you're right, Mario, in in the sense that – and I think that it even pervades today. And that's something – we've talked about it with Survivor at all times. It's that for the most part, the jury is going to vote for the winner at the end, somebody that they respect, which is usually like. But but maybe it's respect. But – but what Survivor is going to do, starting with Samoa, and I'm just going to plant the seed here. I'm going to talk about this much more. Oh, is it a, a J-seed? A J-seed. That's how it goes. Mm, gotta love those. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the idea that that up and, you know, with Russell, with his active gameplay, with his active, like, you know, uh, uh, looking for idols and doing things, this is something that production and Jeff Probst are really going to value. Mm-hmm. And so... In Russell's season, since he's kind of the the starter of all of these sorts of things, it's not going to be as respected or, or, or appreciated in its time. And it's something where, like, you know, because it gets propagated and it, it becomes this idea that gets popularized down the road in future seasons, somebody could do Russell-like things and maybe win the game because someone says, you did these Russell-like things, and I respect that. But at this point in, the, in, in Survivor's history, that is not something that is respected. This is very much, he's making it up as he goes along. It's kind of a new strategy, very innovative. It's something, again, we just have not seen an equivalent to this on Survivor. And this is one of the, one of the things I will give credit where credit is due. Russell is absolutely inventing a new type of gameplay. And of course, uh, my argument is, well, it's not a good type of gameplay, but it's a new type of gameplay, so that's cool. But yeah, right off the bat, he's making all these these big assertions he's picking out people he think are going to be idiots and right off the bat he's making so many alliances and this is something that i think people may forget is that he's not doing this unnoticed people are are not just blithely unaware that russell's going around talking to everybody already off the bat right off the bat we have betsy who's like this russell guy's playing way too hard and this is one of those things that i think people may not remember if they haven't seen Samoa in a while that russell's not escaping unscathed here he's actually attracting some unwanted attention right off the bat Yes, I'm so glad you say that. And then I, I don't want to dive into this too much right now. And I think we'll talk about it as the season goes on. But one of the things I was trying to reflect on, why do I like Samoa so much? So with Token Chains, it was a lot of like, why Why is this a season that a lot of people are high on? Like, why do I not love this season? And for Samoa, it's the opposite. Like a lot of people are down on the season. Why am I so high on it? And one of the big things I keep coming back to is I feel like with this introduction of Russell, it really kind of you know, is trying to become this new age of Survivor and it's really important in Survivor history. But I think I like the season so much is because it ultimately rejects this new insertion of Russell. It it goes back to so many um, old school elements of the show and, um, you know, revolving around Russell that he's this new person, this new strategy that's thrown into things. But the show, the season rejects it. Like, he does not win. It is not okay to do the things he do. He does and ultimately win. And you have all this new stuff that's kind of coming into play with Russell, but the show's not ready for it yet. This group of contestants is not ready for it yet. So we get so many old school elements in the season that's trying to be new school. Yeah, that's very well said. Yeah, and, and you can see here there, there's, there's two things that happen sort of in quick succession here um, that makes this uh, – uh, apparent number one is as you pointed out mario betsy who's got this great little arc in these these uh early episodes is sort of the 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 early the early warning system for russell where she's just is like i don't know if i trust this guy he's playing way too hard and he's not he's not doing well then they have that night scene where russell's telling the story about uh. um 
Hurricane Katrina and in his house and and uh, you know how he he was trying to rescue his dog and 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 he was up on his roof and and all this sort of stuff and and you could see like Ashley be, be like man that really got me because I'm a dog person and you get Marisa I think who's basically like well he he may be right I have no reason not to trust his story but it seems like he's trying to get an angle with this Katrina story and it's like. Man, if Marisa is pointing this out that, you know, you, you know, and it, it, it seems this weird thing where like Russell, he's, he, you know, in, in, in the next sort of little bit, he's going to start doing his chaos stuff. But he's trying to get in, you know, like, oh, I've got a sympathetic seed with me. And it's like literally on like night one, night two. He's like, so I was uh, stranded in Hurricane Katrina and blah, blah, blah. And it's like that's a weird time to sort of introduce it. It seems like an artificial sort of moment to introduce that. And, you know, then he gleefully tells the camera, I was nowhere in new Orleans. I've never been there. I was, you know, blah, blah. It's this whole Johnny fair play, dead grandma stuff. But it's like, you know, uh, Russell's like, I'm look at me. I snowed them over with my story. And you could, you know, in, and you could see he snowed some people over because it's day one, but you could see even Maurice's like, it seemed like a bit of a work. Yeah. And I would say I'm glad you kind of brought up Johnny Fairplay because it's one of these things that people say, well, Russell is doing things nobody had ever done before. No one came into the game trying to sabotage and create chaos. I'm like, yeah, people have done that in the past. Johnny Fairplay is an excellent example, but Fairplay was was especially successful at it because you start off the game making people like you and be the funny guy. And that's the thing. It, it's You can do the Discord later if you've established that they have no reason to fear you. And Russell already is attracting attention to the point that Fairplay wasn't. Fairplay wasn't getting this kind of negative attention at the start. So it's just one of those things that while Russell is being innovative and inventing new types of strategy, we have seen this stuff before from people who I would argue, I would argue were better at it. Yeah, and it's an interesting comparison as well because I think what a lot of people were saying about Russell is, oh, Russell was the first person to come in and purposely be a villain, you know, to say that I'm going to be the most evil person that the game had ever seen as opposed to maybe someone like Jerry Manthe, who sort of might have unfortunately had that title thrust upon her. But, you know, I think Fair Play is a great example. I think you could even go to somebody like Corinne, arguably, is a good example. Like, we've had people in the past come in and say, yeah, I'm going to be mean, I'm going to be a a villain. Uh, But I think a lot of people remember Russell just because... This is, I can understand there's a lot, again, a lot of stuff going on. What really grinds my gears about these first few episodes is not necessarily the amount of Russell confessionals, but the same amount of material that recurs throughout every Russell confessional. Yeah. They're fun for the first episode to see. I'm playing everyone. I'm holding all the cards. Insert metaphor here. But I just stopped taking notes on the confessionals after episode two, maybe, just because he keeps saying the exact same things in every freaking confessional. Yeah, and it gets even worse when you're we're going to see in episodes two and three where the producers and the editors are working along with him. Not only is Russell saying the same thing in every confessional, they will insert his thoughts into every single scene to make it look as if he's the one making the decision. And it's really a sneaky way of doing it. And it's one of those things, unless you specifically look for it, you don't realize what the editors are doing. Like there's moments coming up that Russell has nothing to do with. But right before it happens, they'll cut to Russell where he's, he's, he's thinking, well, maybe maybe it'll go this way. So it looks it's just the way that they can manipulate your brain into thinking Russell's thinking it. So Russell has something to do with it. And it's not. It's just very sneaky storytelling. So, yeah, right. we'll, and, there's and, plenty uh, of that. Yeah. And I mean, we'll, we'll, we can talk about the specifics of this, but I want to make this point so I don't forget to it uh, at another point. But it's like Russell's whole M.O. here is, you know, I'm going to create chaos and that's what's going to make me thrive. Okay, well, the, yes, like maybe he is 
you know, benefiting from the chaos. This chaos is not Russell-induced. The chaos in the tribe goes by the name of Ben. Like, Ben is the reason there's all this chaos. And yes, Russell may benefit from it. It's not that Russell created the chaos. So, you know, but you watch the show, and if you aren't watching with that critical eye, sure, you just take it for what it's worth. Oh, look at Russell. He started all this chaos in the tribe. And look what he's able to do with that. Yeah. Yeah, it's very telling that the minute Ben goes home, it gets very quiet around Foa Foa. <laughs> Well, it, well, it's also we'll talk about maybe Russell's quote unquote changing attitude. Where after Ben leaves, he sort of has a change in mentality from "Oh, I'm the chaos causer" to "Oh, I'm the parent of the tribe. I need to take care of these babies." Yeah. Okay. So the big lesson here, just if you're to recap the last twenty minutes, is Russell's doing all this stuff and he's not getting away with it unopposed. People are starting to notice he's already attracting some attention, and that's one of the, the criticisms of Samoa. Russell never faces anybody who opposes him. Yeah, he does. Betsy's right on his ass right from the start, and she's going to have a really big arc. So, again, just take that and keep that in mind that Russell does have opposition along the way. He just manages to defeat them, but there are people already lining up against him. And just, uh, just to mention this, something, a little note I took. Do you think... Uh, Liz was upset that she was, again, once again deemed smart because she was Asian and she was not picked to be the dumbass girl alliance. Do you think she was bothered that the stereotype kept her out of Russell's alliance there? She eventually made her, her way in there, okay. though. So it was more of a, I mean, it's fine, though, because, you know, of the people that Russell made a dumbass girl alliance with, like, the first three women voted out of FOA FOA were all part of that alliance. So <laughs> yeah. I think actually getting with him was a bad move. Yeah, I just like the little irony there that that Mick makes the uh, somewhat racist observation that the Asian one's going to be the smart one. And then Russell does the exact same thing later. He picks every girl in the tribe but the Asian one. So there you go. Just um, little, it comes full circle. To footnote this, you know, after we get this Katrina story and blah, 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 we see this scene in the dark. And it's one of these scenes. It's, it's a scene that is very visually powerful and, you know, catapults the character of Russell and Survivor into the mainstream. We get this shot of Russell emptying out everyone's canteens in that, you know, nighttime night vision sort of thing. And then him burning Jason's socks. And it's like the fallout of this is everyone's just like, oh, man, our canteens are empty. I guess we need to go fill them. And, you know, and, and Jason's like, oh, my socks are gone. I'm mildly irritated. Like, it, it sucks. Like, you know, but, you know, the I'm going to, you know, he's like, I'm going to sow chaos. It's like this one was probably about a, a you know, on, on the scale of, on the smiley to frowny face scale that you get at the doctor's office, this is like, you know, near the two, you know what I mean? This is, this is not, this is not, you know, something that's really huge, but yet it looks visually stunning. It's something that they could, you know, go back to on previously ons and, and show them in commercials and, you know, kind of make, it, it can make the clips. Like you see this guy on survivor, he, he dumped out the canteens and he burned the dude's socks. And it's like, it, it really wasn't that big of a deal. Really? In the grant, okay, fine. Oh, we're gonna go. You know, it's it's just one of those things. Was that an impression of Mike Barassi watching Survivor? No, it wasn't. Okay, okay just checking. I, I, I'm skipping over Mike Barassi with his yeah. with his uh uh you know well the <laughs> I don't even want to say oh, no, it. Just... No, yeah, we're not gonna say it. No, uh, we've uh, already we, we got it. We got episode two and three to talk about. <sighs> okay, we don't want to get too much into the the mick of it all. I'm not gonna <laughs> talk much about Ben in general. Just it, it's it's pretty bad. But okay. uh, yeah, so so we've got that, and then uh, we've got uh, stuff coming up here. Yeah, I was going to say, one of the fun things, one of the joys about Samoa, and this is one of the reasons why I hold this season kind of near and dear to my heart, is there's a lot of unintentional comedy and humor and lines that shouldn't be funny until you look at them in retrospect. 
And there's so many in the season, and just you'll catch them. I'll I'll point them out as we go along. Right here, where Russell's doing his evil stuff at the end of uh, night one, and he gives us this quote: "I'm only here to prove how easy it is to win this game," which is fantastic when you realize how that applies to Natalie. How easy it is to win Survivor? Just ride Russell to the end and let everybody hate him. <laughs> so I'm just saying, there's a lot of fun little stuff if you watch that where you can re- use Russell's quotes against him. I do want to point this out really quickly, though. Uh, sorry, Micah, you, you can go, I promise, and I'll shut up for a long time. But I think we needed somebody like Russell. Not 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 everything, but what I liked from this cha- from this from this confessional, and and what I take away from it is when he basically is like, I'm a I'm already a multimillionaire, and I've got my own company and stuff like that. He's like, I'm not out here for the money. I want to win and prove how easy it is to win this game. Which you know, lol for the ironies and all that sort of stuff. But you know, we've had rich people on Survivor before, but they're either a celebrity who's recognizable or you've got someone like, you know, Willard or Carl. something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, Carl, you know, we're, we're like, they're so passive, you know what I mean? And they're, they're just kind of there taking it in. They're like, oh, by the way, I was like really rich. And it's like, oh, okay. But it's like Russell is a rich person who is active. And he is he is actively trying to win this game and he's not trying to, you know, everyone who goes in there, in there, they're they're trying to, like, create a television personality out of it. They're trying to win this million dollars through this thing, become a celebrity, and all that sort of stuff. Whereas, you know, I think Russell did want to become a celebrity. I'm not going to say that wasn't there, but it's like Russell, you know, pressures off money wise. Like he's there trying to, like, game this game. Wait. And I got to say something. It, people people are aware Russell really wasn't rich in real life, right? No, but it, you know, okay, this, this is making this, sure people know that who are listening. He was not a millionaire in real life. No, but but he believes it, Mario. <laughs> yeah, he's like coach. If he believes it, then it's yes. true. Yes, <laughs> and that that that's my whole point. It's not it's not the it's not the fact of is he rich or is he not rich. This is what he's going with, and yeah. he's like, I don't need the money, even though he could use the money. It's all about it's all about winning, which is you know, with with all these type A's that play the game. That doesn't come up a whole ton, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it seems like a lot of the people that try to win um, do kind of have that attitude. It's the I'll do whatever it takes to win because I want to win and win the million dollars. Whereas like Russell's kind of got this other angle of I want to win because it's something that, you know, like I need to game this thing. I need to master this game yeah. and, you know, sort of dominate this game in, in this this weird sort of sense. And it's like it's people like that that change the game. And again, nobody no, nobody loves villains more than I do. I grew up on pro wrestling. I love the whole psychology and mentality behind a good villain. So I absolutely love that about Russell, and I think you're right. Well, on that note, I do want to go to that multimillionaire thing just before we finally leave all the, the Russell stuff behind, at least for now, before we come back to the Russell stuff after the immunity challenge. But yes, he's a multimillionaire, but going back to what you were saying before, Jay, about how maybe one of the reasons why nobody was really pushing against Russell was because they honestly thought he wasn't going to do much damage. Russell didn't say he was a multimillionaire, at least not right now. I believe on the recap, he does end up telling them, but he tells people starting off that he's a firefighter. Now, I don't think he knew this. It might have happened purely by accident, because again, I don't think Russell watched this season, but who's the last firefighter who played Survivor that people remember? One of the biggest heroes who ever played the game, Tom Westman. And so you, it's one of these things where you sort of attribute... Oh my god, I thought you were going to say Kenny. Oh, uh, no. Kenny, yeah, I mean, uh, that guy had the... His arms were the length of a fire hose, not the uh, not oh. exactly a firefighter material, unfortunately. But, yeah, I feel like Russell was able to get by on that reputation from his occupation of 
oh, this guy's a firefighter, he's strong, he's here to help us, that they allowed him to sort of do some of these more squirrely things. Whereas if he came in and said, hey, I'm a multimillionaire oil executive, hell no. There's a, there's a much better chance, considering, you know, what they started doing with Ben eventually, that once they realize that that ship's sinking, they might want to get rid of him sooner rather than later. All right. With that being said, we've pretty much summed up Foa Foa's first day. Let's go over to Galoo for our uh, obligatory 30 seconds of Galoo until we come back to some other Foa Foa. I do, I do like Russell Swan's shelter building strategy. Build a raft and then put it on the roof. That's essentially <laughs> his idea behind how to build a shelter. <laughs> yes. And it's funny how little notes I have for Galoo, which is going to be a running pattern here. Where, yeah, basically Russell Swan's the leader. He tells them to build a raft and we'll just upend it. And basically, you have too many strong guys talking over each other, all trying to uh, be the one who's kind of being the idea guy. And uh, one of them, of course, is John Fincher, Juan Fincher, who is, uh, we haven't seen one of these in a while. He's a uh, rocket scientist. And there's a great scene here where he's explaining how to do a shelter, and Shambo's like, you know, you're really good at explaining stuff. You don't actually do anything. And it's funny, it's very reminiscent of the very first scene in Survivor history with Sue and Richard, and my wife even pointed out, she's like, I'm just expecting Shambo to say, action, John, action. Yes, I had that in my notes, too. Very (laughs) reminiscent of that. Yeah. And then the other thing we hear is that Shambo feels like she's very out of place. She's like, it's all just young kids here and me. And then the one person who's sort of her age, Laura, seems to think that she's about 20 years old, so she's always hanging with the young girls, very reminiscent of Lisa back in Vanuatu. So Shambo, right off the bat, feeling very out of place. And really, that's about the last thing we're going to hear from Galoove until about episode four now. <laughs> Wait a minute. Sierra's mom is on this season? Yes. Yes, Sierra's mom is on this season. Well, how's well, Sierra, Sierra going to come Sierra voted her out of the house. She voted her out of the house. So Laura had to come out here. Yeah, actually, biggest move is not Russell. The biggest move made was Laura being on this season. <laughs> yes. All right. So... You know, we've done all the introductions, we've met all the players, met the leaders, seen the dynamics, you know, the general dynamics. Obviously, we haven't met all the Galoos, and spoiler, we're not going to. But uh, let's go yeah, right to the first... really sad, because I am, like, itching to talk about Dave Ball. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll, get, he'll get his moment to shine in episode four in particular, between the bocce and the Galoo finally going to Tribal Council. What an anomaly of a man. Yeah, Dave Ball is fantastic, because he will eventually refer to himself in the third person by his full name. Which is fantastic. I, I, I think that's something that I love about Samoa is, okay, the Ashby line. There are a ton of people in Samoa that are well below the Ashby line, and they're well below it. Mm. But then there are a bunch of people that are above the Ashby line, and they are way above it. Yeah. And that's one of my things What I why I think Samoa is misunderstood and maybe underrated is that people will often say, well, not everybody gets confessionals. You don't get to know everybody. And my argument is, well, you don't really need to know everybody. You just need to know the important ones. So I don't mind that the confessionals aren't all spread out because the people I am interested in seeing, I see a bunch from them, so I'm happy with that. So it's one of these arguments we'll get as the season goes along. I don't, I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, just because there are some interesting people. You, Jay just mentioned one who does not get anything until episode four, which I think is very symbolic of the fact that, yes, it can be okay if, for example, Kelly, poor Kelly Charbo, we don't need to necessarily know what's going on, you know, every moment in her head. 
But if in its place we're getting what's going on in every moment of Russell Hans's head, that's not necessarily helping the problem. Yeah. I agree, but it's, I can you can kind of defend that in a sense in that it's very much like kind of like Marxist in a way here, where one tribe is just decimated and losing and going to tribal council, and the other one just is sitting pretty. So there's not really a reason to know Galoo, just like there wasn't a reason to know Rotu. And it's one people the thing that people forget is that Kathy was really the only one you knew on Rotu for a couple episodes, and it's very similar to this with Shambo. So. I can defend that a little because the storytelling dictates that Foa Foa should be getting all the airtime. Now, I know the argument is it shouldn't just be Russell, which I agree with. Well, that being said as well, I mean, there's some things like I've been watching sort of all the the CBS secret scenes and stuff. Jay, cover your ears for a few minutes uh, along with the episodes just because this one I feel like in particular is one where there's a bunch of stuff going on in terms of the extras that are really not talked about in the episodes. And it's a little sad in, in that there are, like, full galoo scenes complete with music and editing and confessionals and everything. Just full minute scenes that happen in galoo that occur throughout episodes, like, two through five or so that just aren't in the show. And I know that there was a user on Survivor Sucks a long time ago who man like made, like, a fan re-edit of Survivor Samoa that pared down the Russell confessionals and put some of these galoo scenes in their place. So it just makes me wonder, you know, that they made a choice, and we'll definitely talk about that choice, but it kind of makes me wonder a bit of, like, could you have just, like, if you eliminated, like, three Russell confessionals per episode and just put one Galoo confessional in? It doesn't need to be major. Mario, I understand your point that you want to get the focus on the tribe that's going to tribal council. But at the same time, just sprinkle a little bit of paprika in there, baby. Don't just keep serving me bland chicken breasts episode after episode. Yeah. And it, I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you to, in a sense because Galoo is one of my favorite tribes of this era. Like, any time you start focusing on them, I think it delivers. It's a fun scene. So, yeah, I agree with you. I've never actually seen that fan edit. I've heard people ex- describe it to me before. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, there's some editing choices in here that perhaps not everyone would have agreed with. I guess we can just kind of leave it at that. All right, so let's go to the first immunity challenge, the first big showdown where the big, powerful Foa Foas will face the meek underdog Galoos, as Jeff described them earlier. Let's see what I have on my notes here. I had it's very uh, amusing watching Foa Foa walk in with the uh, when they're lining up for the challenge, where it's all the girls in the front, all the big tall guys in the back, and there's little tiny Russell in the front with the girls, which I'm amused by. <laughs> so before the challenge, this is where Ben kind of taunts the Galoos, right? Where the Galoos are talking, "We did this, we've done this," and what does Ben say exactly? I kind of forget the exchange here, where we meet Ben for the first time. Jeff, I've never read that book. What losers say? <laughs> That's a good line. To be fair, Shambo hasn't read it either. She's not book smart. <laughs> yes. So Ben's going to start off real hard here with the trash talking of Galoos right off the bat. I think we see Russell Swan kind of look over him all pained when Ben starts talking crap about him, which is a fun little moment. And so, uh, yeah, this is an obstacle course where they have to run over these V's, these big old V's. And uh, it's, I don't even write any other notes other than it's an obstacle course. There's like a puzzle at the end, kind of the d- d- generic challenge. And you've seen it before. It kind of reminded me of, oh, okay, wait, I'm going to reference a movie. It's like Titanic when they're slipping when the boat's up in the air and they're like, you know, like trying to hold on to each other and pull each other up and stuff. Uh, that's just what it reminded me of as they're going up these A-frames that are getting larger and larger. Did you know Russell Hans's great-grandfather lost his dog in the Titanic sinking? <laughs> oh, did they cut that out of the movie or was that in one of the secret scenes? Yeah, poor, poor Rocky. He just got lost. And then it cuts to, is that actually the old woman that's talking to, you know, to to the crew? It's actually Russell Hans's great-grandfather. They decide to make a last-minute casting choice. It's old Gunther Hans from the old country. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so yeah, we get to the immunity to the immunity challenge. They all do the obstacle course, and uh, look at this. Shambo at the end as the problem as the puzzle solver helps win the challenge, and Galoo will win their first immunity. Yay for the underdogs! I did like their little chant here. It's no, it's no Lafleur weirdo dance chant, but they did the last. Who's in the house? Galoo, which. Also, a bit of a Mandela effect for me. I don't know if you guys remember it as Galoo, but they're very prevalent in Galoo for the at least the five episodes that we watched. I don't know if it changes over time. Yeah. And in a secret scene, they don't say who's in the house. They say who's in the raft that was tipped up on its side. Galoo. <laughs> okay, so that's it for Galoo. We, don't, we won't hear from them for a while again. Let's go back to Foa Foa, where uh, things are going to fall apart really quickly here. So we go back to the yellow camp, and it uh, looks like the vote's going to be either Ashley tonight because she's weak and kind of out of place, and as Paul mentioned, she is an alternate, and nobody knows who the hell this person is who just showed up. Or it's going to be Mike Barassi, who literally died in the challenge. <laughs> so we're either going to out the corpse or this new weak person. So this is going to be the, uh, the, uh, the issue here. Or a third option, the strong woman who decides to tell Russell that she's a little <laughs> skeeved out by what's he, what, he, what he's doing. Yeah, it's funny how little I remembered about the season that I don't remember. I didn't remember any of this until I was watching the season this after or yesterday. And yeah, so here comes Marissa telling Russell, I see you. You're scheming with a lot of people. I don't trust you. I think you're dangerous, which we're going to learn is a bad threat, thing to say to Russell. Threat. She threatened <laughs> yeah. him. I was also going to say, Mario, I'm a little bit rusty on the season two. This is probably my seventh or eighth time watching Samoa. Thank you. Well done. That, that's why he is the stump. He is right there. That's why. All right. So, yeah. So, Marisa said she's uncomfortable. Russell, you make me uncomfortable. I, I am worried about you. And, yeah, this is going to uh, gonna backfire badly on Marissa here. And so, Russell goes to – and, again, this is where you have to take the edit in the season with a grain of salt. And we're going to say this so many times you're going to be sick of us. But the scene we see is Russell going, saying, I'm going to go turn the vote against Marisa. And this is all you're going to see leading up to the vote, of course, because they want you to think that Russell is 100% in control of what everybody does at all times, which anybody who knows anything about Survivor history knows no one has ever controlled a season all by themselves. There's always 16, 18, 20 different opinions, mindsets, storylines going on. The editors obviously have to focus on one or two to kind of drive the narrative home in a certain direction. And I normally wouldn't mind. This is just what Survivor does. It's no, nothing new here in Samoa. But we're going to see this repeatedly here where we were only going to see Russell saying, I'm going to do something about this. Then we see Russell doing something about it, and then it happens. And again, it's just a way of psychology. It's the way of showing in your brain. A leads to B leads to C. And without critical thinking, this is why so many people come out of Samoa or just remember Samoa thinking, oh, Russell controlled everything. Russell did everything and nobody else did anything, which is such horseshit i have to say because we never saw what anybody else did they never even bothered to clue us in what anybody else's opinion was and even when they do like with the jason stuff that we'll talk about in episode three they still find a way especially i know this is talked was talked about a little bit in zls and we talked about this a little bit in gabon especially but this season is a little bit of jeff probes kind of editorializing and building stories in the previously on I mean, I think the, the one coming up for episode two, right, is the one that's like, there's trouble on Foa Foa, and it's spelled R-U-S-S-E-L-L, which, uh, slow down a bit, Shambo's writing that down, but yeah, it's it's really interesting that, even when it comes to that type of thing, where Russell was actually, like, had to sway over and was paying to do so, they still tried to portray it like it was his idea. Yeah. 
And that's the thing we'll see in later episodes. Russell's really not the only leader here. He and Ben are super tight. And it'll see in the, see in the next episode, like they're calling shots concurrently, like they think alike. So it's just one of those things we implore you to watch these seasons critically. And again, a lot of people watch these seasons as they're listening to historians. We uh, People tell me that all the time. Oh, I'm waiting to watch the season until historians comes out and then I'll watch it and listen at the same time, which is very flattering. I'm really happy that we have that kind of impact that people love to do that. But that's the one thing I think that I, I hope I'm not speaking for the other three of you that's watch these seasons critically and especially this season, watch how blatant it is, how they will only show Russell being the one in control of everything, which again is, is crap. That's not how Survivor works. That's not realistic, but it's very sneaky and blatant in this season once you catch them doing it. Am I speaking out of the line? Do you guys disagree with me there? Go for it, man. <laughs> that won't be an awkward edit. That was nice. <clears throat> I thought that was Paul with mid whisper there. I don't dare challenge the great Mario Lanza. <laughs> yeah, or else it'll be like you're threatening him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we just talked about threatening. I'm going to back right. off. You I'll can keep that part in the jury. <laughs> they don't know who they're dealing with. All right. So, uh, <laughs> so we're going to go to tribal council here, and uh, again, the vote is has flipped around against Marisa. Again, the, the narrative we've been shown is, well, Russell flipped it around, which I know you can't, no one does that. It's it's obviously, a name comes up and everyone's like, okay, well, it's not me. It's going back to the first season. That's really how Survivor works at the first vote. Well, it's not me. Sounds good to me. So anyway, we go to Tribal Council. We get some Mike Barassi character moments here. What's his quota? It's a doggy, doggy game and we're all wearing milk bone underwear. But that's not him. He quotes Cheers. Like Mike Barassi, <laughs> isn't he? That's not even an original Mike Barassi quote. <laughs> Michael Scott, he signed his name yeah, at the bottom. I, I, uh, I noticed that too. I knew that was from that TV show that you mentioned, Mike. <laughs> yes, I, it's uh, the TV show that the kids watch. I am aware of this, Mike. One of my favorite moments here is like, for some reason, Ashley Trainer just kind of fascinates me, This the, her whole five episodes, because she just really kind of sums up for me like when they talk about um, you know, putting someone on the show who doesn't have a lot of life experience, who just kind of just seems young and in over her head. And that's just every time I think about Ashley in the show and at Tribal Council when, you know, the the really, you know, she opens up with her line about saying, it's whatever. And like Jeff like pounces on her. And then when they talk about her being the weakest link, like her rebuttal is, I don't know why I'm the weakest link. I don't know why I'm the weakest link. I work out tons at home. Yeah, I'm in shape cardio-wise. Yeah, like, like cardio-wise, I'm just like, it just sounds like, so like, okay, uh-huh, Ashley. Uh, but it's also ignored by the fact that I I think Russell at this point might have realized that Ben might be his own pit bull and that he's someone to easily rile up because that is definitely a sideshow to the main act of this tribal council, which is a little crazy for a first tribal council. We probably won't see this until, you know, uh, Survivor 22 when you have Philip going in against Francesqua, but... Ben and Russell go in pretty hard against Marisa, considering the fact that they've only known her for three days at this point. Yeah. And again, that's the thing that people need to remember if they haven't watched the season. It's not just Russell, 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 Russell. It's Russell and Ben for like three episodes. They're a team and they're just blasting poor Marisa. And it's really kind of rough. All right. Uh, I wanted to follow up on your little comment there about the cardio, Paul. Now, when Ashley is studying cardio, is that like real world athletic cardio or is that book cardio? Oh, dear God. <laughs> I also love, like, Ashley in the preseason, too. Like, her 
like she's talking about coming to the show and she's like, I've never, I've only camped once in my life. I'm okay. You're from freaking Minnesota. Like I get the people they get from the East coast or city slickers, whatever, who've never camped. But like, if you're from Minnesota and you've never camped, like yeah. back me up on this Jade. Isn't that weird? Like Midwestern saying I've never camped. Yeah. Cause like, cause that's what? what, that's what Midwesterners do all the time. What else do you have? Yeah. This is the great Montana, Minnesota rivalry rearing its head again here. Right, because when I live in Chicago, most people assume I'm from Minnesota because they can only keep like three M states, and it's you know Michigan, <laughs> Minnesota, and then like something back east like Massachusetts. Montana just like doesn't exist, so I'm often well, mistaken as someone from Montana. They threaten well, you. To, to be fair, Paul, uh, this is this is way too heady for for all this sort of stuff. But uh, Michigan, like Minnesota, they both you know Minnesota, of course, known as the land of ten thousand lakes or whatever you know because they've got all the like. And Michigan's kind of got the same uh, sort of thing. So there are people that don't camp per se. They've got like lake lake houses, you know, lake cottages. So they go there and they like drive around a, a skidoo or a boat or something like that on the little bit of lakes, it, which which isn't camping. It's it's I mean that's. But it's, it's, yeah, it's it's like glamping in a way like it's it's, you know, you go to a rural place, but you're still kind of in a cabin with electricity and all that sort of stuff. It's not tent in woods with hikes and seeing nature. Right. Well, I, I feel like uh, maybe she's been a little bit too honest and naive because I feel like most people on Survivor would just say that's camping like in their in their interview stuff like, oh, I camped every summer, every weekend, you know, it was fabulous. It is outdoors. I mean, you're exactly. right, Paul. I, I feel like there's that. Well, which is better, Ashley doing this glamping or Cassandra, what'd she say, like camping, what, 50 feet from the highway? <laughs> it was like 15 feet off the road or something. <laughs> I can't remember the exact distance, but it was like very short, like <laughs> with her uh, coconut she bought at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And her sexy water shoes. <laughs> All right. That's uh, our little sidetrack into Fiji here in the middle of Samoa. But yes. So at the end of the episode, we leave with Marisa being voted out six to three over Ashley. And with that, we lose the uh, first of Russell's dumbass girl alliance. Also the one who threatened him. Although before we leave this episode, I have to say there's a fantastic scene right before they go to tribal council where... And again, just the stuff that makes this this season kind of interesting in retrospect and fun, it's where Betsy kind of pulls Natalie aside right before tribal council and says, watch out for Russell, Natalie. Don't trust him. Watch out. And here it goes, the passing of the torch that will come, in late, come into play later in the season. So just pointing out that Betsy, long forgotten, but fairly important to the season. She's the one who tips off Natalie right at the start. Watch out for Russell. And that's a good segue into the beginning of the episode because they come back from tribal council and it basically becomes... Betsy and Russell just sort of eyeing each other on the beach and saying, game on. Like, okay, we both don't really, we both are gunning for each other. Let's figure out what happens from here on out. Although, and here we go. This is the first time I'm going to go in my little soapbox on the previously on segments for this season. This is where it starts. To quote Mikey Walsh and the Goonies, it all starts here. It's a uh, previously on segment. Russell will get 100% of credit for every single thing that happened in the last episode. Probes will just go on and on. Russell did this. Russell does that. If you cross Russell, you'll go home. And then, just to lay it on thick, and again, this is this is the era of the show where Probes is going to start kind of experimenting with what he can do in the previously ons. He's going to start wielding them like a weapon to drive the narrative home. We get this whole previously on, which is 100% about Russell steering the season. 
Then we cut to a confessional with Russell where he says the same thing. He just repeats what we just heard, only in his own words. You cross me, you go home. I control the shots. I run to this whole game. Nobody else is playing. So it's just this double whammy of the narration and Russell's confessionals working on your mind to make you think that what you're seeing is 100% accurate of what's actually going on. So that's how we lead into Russell versus Betsy in episode two, which I would argue is a kind of a fun episode here. All right, since uh, nobody else has anything to add, we'll cut over to Galoo for our obligatory 15 seconds of fun over there. And uh, what have we learned? This literally was like 90 seconds. Like, I wish I would have had a timer on this. It was so short. Yeah, we cut to Galoo. Yasmin uh, is not having a good time. Though we do get, even though, Jay, you miss some Dave Ball moments that we'll get in a couple episodes, we get one line here where Yasmin's saying, like, Dave, why am I all, you know, bitten up by bugs and, and you guys aren't? And Dave just says, because you're funky, baby. And it's a line that maybe only Dave Ball could get away with in Yasmin's face. Although in keeping with the tradition of our last discussion, Yasmin said she's never camped before. The hood's not the wood. So apparently she is not from Minnesota. She doesn't camp. And then really that's all we're going to get here. Let's go back to Foa Foa. You think I'm exaggerating people who haven't seen this season in a while. This is literally how it's going. An obligatory shot of one person talking at Galoo and then back to Foa Foa. Let's see what's going then, on back here. And now it's, it's like it's, the next chunk of Russell's storyline. He's going to bring in one more person to his lines. Like, it's, it's everything like is su- like, yeah. It's a successful Lamina. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> this is what we should have done at Lamina. We spent, I wish we would have gotten 90 second clips of Lamina. No, we got five minutes of their six stomachs because they ate too much beans. Like I would have taken a 30 second drive by on that one. Do you, do you see how I how I strategically brought up Lamina so that Paul would go on a tangent? It's called a JC. Yeah, do you want, do you want my voice to go out again, Jay? <laughs> you know, Jay's you... the only one playing the game here in this podcast, I have to say. I, I just want you to sing heart songs to me. Is that a threat? Are you threatening me? Oh, you bet it. <laughs> they don't know who they're dealing with. All right, so let's go to Foa Foa. So we get the, where we get the scene of Ben killing a lizard and inserting a stick down its throat, which we will see later. We'll see this twice in this season. And we get uh, we get the the weird occasional uh, the pirate like melodica music that they use a lot during Pearl Islands. The da 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 da. Like they they use that for some reason, I guess, to show like, hey, Ben's you know hum humbo countryman. Like, look at him roast this lizard on a stick. <laughs> it's the happy lizard killing music. All right, so, uh, yeah, so Russell is going to draw a new person in his alliance. Now that his dumbass girl alliance has sort of fallen apart, he's lost Marisa, he needs somebody else, and he says, I want Jason on my tribe. Jason's very likable, very calm, and I'm going to need somebody like that down the road. And, uh, this again, there's so many quotes that will haunt Russell later, where Russell will say, I need somebody who will, who can make friends down the road. It'll be good for me. <laughs> so, again, that may come back to haunt Russell later. But so anyway... Russell and Jason have a nice little chat here, and uh, and Russell says, you know, I'm going to go do something that's never been done before. I'm going to go find an idol without any clues. I'm going to go be the first person to ever do that. So, look, I understand that the rest of Foa Foa didn't know what Russell was doing, right? Because like we talked about, outside of Gary Hogaboom, everyone usually waits for a clue. I think Jason even says, like, we don't even know if there's an idol. Like, they, there might be an exile island that they'll announce where the, the clues will be on. We're not entirely sure what's going on here, but we have four or five people standing around camp within vicinity of Russell just digging his hand up the trunk of a tree. (laughs) What did they think he was doing to help the camp? 
That is an excellent question. You know, I, I cannot defend Foa Foa on this one because, yeah, what Mike is saying is literally true. They're literally standing next to him around the fire as Russell, 80% of Russell is buried up inside a tree looking for an idol. It's a very fun scene. And Russell does find the idol. He reaches up and grabs it and, hey, wow, that's cool. And he goes and shares it with Jason. And now we really have this first little, not even like a, uh, I was going to say it's a different kind of power structure, like Russell just talking down to his alliance members before. Now Russell actually kind of has a peer. Russell and Jason will become kind of important here. And this is going to kind of backfire on Russell in the next episode. Another subplot I think people tend to forget, that things don't always go Russell's way, and this Jason thing is going to be one that kind of works against him here. But for now, it's him and Jason. They are sharing the idol, or at least he knows that Russell has the idol. And it's a one of the few nice scenes here on Foa Foa. And then we get Mike punching the air and calling himself a mean motor scooter. Yes. I was going to say we cut to Galoo here, but no, we don't do that. Let's just cut back to more Foa Foa, where we get Mike Barassi and Betsy being the two on the outs. They're the old ones here. They don't really fit in with everyone else. They're kind of the shambo of this tribe, and they know whoever goes, it's going to be one or two of them next, where the outsiders. And hey, they they had no idea it would be both of them, but here we go. <laughs> and there's some great foreshadowing. You know, Mike Barassi goes on about how he just really wants to show people he can get out there and get it done and whatever. And, you know, he really you know, foreshadows what's going to come. He says, I'm going to, I'm going to take him down to Ch- to Chinatown, man, or I'll yeah. die trying. And he'll come pretty damn close <laughs> to the ladder. Yeah. This is a fun scene here. They get the tree mail. They're going into the first, uh, the next reward challenge slash immunity challenge. And it says, this one's going to be very physical. People are going to get beat up. People are going to get hurt. And Mike does this little happy dance. Cause apparently he's this brutal sadist that just likes hurting people, which is not how he is remembered in survivor history, but that's how he sees himself at this point. He's so excited. He's like, someone's going to get hurt. I'm going to make sure that one of them walks out of here in pain, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Mike has a great quote today. Somebody's going to get hurt today. And it's not us. I also like this. They're doing the uh, the occasional, hey, paint yourself up like a Samoan warrior challenge. But Mike looks like Ziggy Stardust with the lightning bolts drawn across his face. <laughs> yes. I thought he's going for Harry Potter. Wow. Harry Potter. Cla- clash of the generations there. Right there. Yeah, um, exactly. I want to go back really quickly um, to what you were talking about, Mike, with the whole Russell looking for the idol and everyone else standing there watching him which is, again, a genesis of something that you just can't get away with in, in, in a current season of Survivor. Yep, absolutely. Although, it, the elephant in the room, again, does have to rear its head here. Do we count, as historians, Gary Hogaboom finding an idol without a clue? That's the thing. What's the, what's the actual ruling here if Russell really is the first person to find an idol without a clue? Here's my ruling. My ruling is he is. My, yeah, I guess because there's a count of like he was sort of copying off of what Judd was doing. Is yeah. that sort of like the the asterisk on it? Yeah, yeah. It, is is Gary did not receive a clue, so so there there is that. But Judd received a clue, and then Judd told them the clue and told them like a false clue that everybody knew he was totally lying, and it was like the worst lie on planet Earth, right? So are you are you sure that doesn't sound like Judd to me? Yeah, you know, I'm just saying. What <laughs> what I'm saying is is that is that. Gary, like, they knew there was an idol. And then Judd said, I got a clue, man, and it's definitely on the ground, man. To where Gary was like, there is an idol, and it's probably up in the trees somewhere. Whereas Russell, without any clue or anything, just said, there's probably an idol, and I need to find it. Yeah. This is one of those gray areas. That's kind of the thing that, you know, Jeff Probst doesn't ever talk about Guatemala. It's kind of one of these forgotten seasons. So 
it's one of these things people say, oh, Jeff just kind of brushes aside survivor history and likes to think it started in Samoa. I mean, Again, I, I shit on Russell all the time. I loved saying that he wasn't the first one to find the idol, but you're probably correct, Jay, and I'll be I'll, I'll admit it. I think you're probably correct. But I mean, it is fun to see the argument pop up. I mean, Gary did not get a clue. So, I mean, if, if, if we're going with technically correct, the best kind of correct, I guess it is Gary, you know, because he didn't receive a clue. But But he didn't. To me, it's the whole thing of like, a, he it, he was tipped off to the fact that there definitely was a hidden immunity idol. Yeah. And then, you know, he received sort of something from Judd. Where so so he, it was the, we all should be looking for an idol because there definitely is one. And then he received a good clue for it. Whereas, you know, with Russell, you got to give credit in the sense of, you know, like they said, they didn't know there was an idol. Like you would assume at this point in Survivor seasons that there would be an idol and it's probably around somewhere, which he did. But But at the same time, he didn't know. He just yeah. went and looked for it, you know, and, and it's something where like nowadays you can't do that. Like, you know, Survivor Inc. not only has a million idols around camp, they encourage you to go look for them. So this is something that came from Russell Hans. This is not something that came beforehand. Beforehand, it was, oh, we'll do a series of clues at Exile Island or, you know, the clues would be at Exile Island, but then the thing will be at your camp, you know, and you, it was some sort of like thing. But now it's just like, hey, go find an idol. And and because Russell was, you know, I'm I'm gonna say it because he was clever enough to figure that out, you know, that's a direction that Survivor went. Yeah. And just as Survivor historians, it's just I guess the the thing that I'd like to get across to people is Survivor history doesn't start in Samoa. Like you you have to at least have that discussion no, that it started in Micronesia. We know exactly. That. Yeah, of course. But the the discussion needs to be had. You know, maybe he may 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 not have found the first one without a clue. I think Jay's right in the long run. But it's one of these things where the show really likes drawing a line that what Russell's doing is the first of his kind and nothing else yeah. was ever close. And that's not that's just not accurate at all. Well, I, I think I think this I think that, you know, Gary was the first person to find an idol without a without directly a clue. But I think that Russell is the first person to find an idol without even the with a without a clue, but b without even the notion planted that there is one. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That's absolutely the first one. And I heard a, a wonderful description of Russell. It's, it's sounds kind of mean, but it's very accurate. Someone once said he's like a truffle hunting pig. Which I just love, love that Russell just instinctively knows where the idols are and he's going to find them all throughout the season and not to spoil that he's going to find many idols, but yeah, he'll find them in trees, under bridges, in water, in the producer's hands, all sorts of fun places Russell will find idols down the road. But I will say this, you know, I didn't start out when when I watched this episode li- or the, the season live, I wasn't like a huge Russell fan, but I didn't, I wasn't, my opinion of him was different than it is now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause I was the first impressions. You're looking at him for the first time and I'm just going to say it him assuming there was an idol and then looking in obvious places and finding an idol. It's so it's brilliant in its simplicity. Cause like you, you sort of sit there and you think, man, why didn't I think of that? And I was gobsmacked, just yeah. gobsmacked when he, when he did this. And I'll let it loose with a deep, dark secret. I loved Russell the first time I watched him. I loved the season. I loved what he was doing. I was 100% on board with the fact, the idea that he gets screwed at the end when it first happened. And we'll get to that in a minute, why I changed so quickly and, and the reasons for that. But I thought it was really fun what he was doing the first time I saw it. Yeah, I mean, it made. there's a reason, again, why it's sort of made for water cooler conversation is because we can argue the merits of whether it was good gameplay. But for what it's worth, 
these moments, despite how repetitive the confessionals may be, as I mentioned before, they do make for some pretty great television. Yeah. And again, I, I still, to this day, think this is a really good season. I love this season. And there's so many fun things about it. It just, it really kind of depends on what you take from it. What do you take out of the season? What the lessons you think are? I think that's different for every person. But yeah, it's just, okay. One thing that just came up here is that Russell brought a lot of excitement to the show. I suppose this is something we should talk about. We kind of neglected to mention at the start, the ratings. This is something that comes up all the time with Russell. Oh, Russell saved Survivor. The ratings went up because of Russell. Russell brought in all this new blood and this new energy. You guys know this as well as I do. Do the numbers back that statement up? No. Uh, I'm pretty sure it it was still going in that sort of, you know, as was everything going on. We we did not reach the age yet where everything was moving over to streaming as the big sort of uh, comparison. But, you know, I think just because it was, as Jay mentioned before, it's 19th season, you know, the the ratings sort of uh, trended downwards. But I think it's less about the numbers and it's more so about just the word of mouth. Yeah. around it like we mentioned at the very beginning there are a bunch of people that i know who are huge survivor fans and pundits today who said i got into it because i heard of russell i know some people people who said i dropped off you know in the in the middle years because i got bored of the show or because i sort of like grew disillusioned with the show and i came back because i heard of russell so i think it's less so about hard numbers and it's more so about just the 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 frenzy around it i should say this idea that oh these things are happening on the show i need to watch yeah i don't think anybody can dispute that again the buzz around russell was huge it enveloped everything it brought me back to the show later i had stopped writing about the show i wasn't really barely even involved with the community and this is the season that eventually brought me back heroes versus villains a little more so but but what's interesting is that mike's right I know so many people that said, oh, Russell got me back into the show. I started watching because of Russell. Russell was so exciting. But it's interesting if you look at the numbers and that if you look at this whole Russell era of Survivor, which is like 19 through 22 or whatever, the highest rated season of that group in numbers is Nicaragua. The three seasons that Russell is on are actually the lowest three rated seasons of those three in terms of number of viewers. And I always find that odd. Which is weird, like all these people were joining Survivor or getting into it or getting back into it because of him. At the same time, people must have been fleeing because of him, too. It's That's the only thing that kind of makes sense because the numbers, like, they, they go down overall. So it's just it's just this odd thing. So anybody, anytime you hear someone say that statement, oh, Russell brought these huge numbers to the show, it's not factually correct. Although, like Mike said, it's the, really the buzz more than the numbers. But the numbers don't back that up at all. Yes, but and, – and... And this may be something that's tangential to Russell Hans, and so I'm not going to give him all of the the credit for this, but this is this is a renaissance, not 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 of of Survivor the gameplay or Survivor the game, but this this is this 2000 this was 2009, right, Samoa? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, around 2009 2010, the Samoa Heroes versus Villains stretch. Not only are we getting you know, like you said, you can talk about television ratings all you want, but Survivor and what Russell does hits the mainstream. It be- Survivor becomes like a thing that people are sort of buzzing about a little bit. Maybe the, the the Nielsen ratings don't necessarily back up, you know, like this big influx of viewership. But something else is on the rise right around this time, and that is um, more media coverage of Survivor. And not media as in newspapers and blah, blah, but more Internet stuff. It's not just Survivor Sucks. And, you know, Andy Dennard on Reality Blurred and, you know, just some of the the other things that are going on. Uh, some guy named Sestronino is about to start a podcast soon. 
you know, and, and so it's we are we are sort of embarking on a new era where like survivor podcasts and things like that. What we're doing right now, the genesis, well, not even the genesis of it, but a lot of the origins are going to be around this time, this 2009, 2010 sort of time where not only are people consuming the show, they're consuming all of this other media with the show in addition to what we already had. Um, so, so it's just going to be kind of like this, this, this growth of, I would say this internet and extra media community, especially with the CBS secret scenes fueling all that as well, which, which sort of catapults it into the future. And I think that, you know, I'm not saying that Russell caused all that, but the fact that this is starting up because of people's renewed interest into survivor and Russell, and also coincidentally pub the podcast platform is sort of, you know, stabilizing out into a thing. Uh, you know, it's all kind of this witch's brew that catapults Survivor into this next sort of era. Yeah. You had me at Russell's not going to get 100% credit for this. I'm fine with the rest of that. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let, let, let's get to the Mike Barassi's area of expertise. Let's get to people hurting each other. Yeah. Is this Schmergen Brawl? Is this the legendary yep. Schmergen Brawl? This is, okay. this is the the first uh, Hurdy Bowl challenge. Uh, the first of the two times before it got completely banned of, <laughs> hey, Let's try to throw balls into a net while in on, on the pit floor, everyone is just bashing into each other at full speed. Yeah, we were just watching this challenge. I hadn't, again, I, I'm really fuzzy on this season until I do a rewatch. And we were watching this, my wife and I, the other night. And she was just cringing watching this challenge. Like, is this a good idea? Why would they have people doing this? Like, someone's going to get hurt every single time they do this challenge. And yeah, it's just people's kneecaps crashing each other, headbutting. No, it's like football without helmets. It's just a brutal just bad idea all around on survivor i mean do you guys agree with that i can't see well we didn't okay have, we one. didn't have stephanie telling people to set a pick so you know <laughs> yes how can they how does that even work because they're all on a platform <laughs> yeah again it's just people basically basketball they're shooting coconuts into nets with the uh the side rule being you can tackle people and hurt people as they're through as they're trying to th- pick up coconuts and shoot them it's just no rules and again, we're going to see people testing the rules coming up real quick here. But yeah, it's just an all-out bloodbath. Well, poor we did, did throw an Ashley trainer at the last minute on this season so she can just go, you know, she can get knocked out. That's not too big of a deal. Well, yeah, she has good cardio, so she's she can <laughs> run away from people. I, you know, one of those endless articles or polls, you know, online, someone needs to talk about, you know, survivors that were that we're not in the right era, and we need to talk about poor Rob Zabachnik because he would have <laughs> thrived in this one. Well, we were just, you know, just speaking towards Survivor history before, like, was Russell the first person to, uh, you know, find a, a, an idol without a clue? Let me bring that question over to this situation. Jeff keeps going on and on about how Ben is the first person to ever get kicked out of a challenge. Do we count the soup jays that got kicked out of the Pilfering Pirates challenge back in Thailand? That's of course a- we do. That's a fantastic question, but I would actually say Jeff may be correct in this one. I'm going to disagree with the uh, esteemed Mr. Fisher here in that when Probst was pulling people out of the challenge in Thailand, it was for that round. They could come back later, right? No, weren't they just on the boat? And I think it was also like, it might have been different circumstances, because I think Jeff said at the very beginning, right? Like, if you do this type of stuff when you're not in the attack zone, you get to sit out. Whereas Jeff, we'll talk about it, calls an audible in the middle. Calls, hey, team, circle up. Y'all are playing a little too dirty. Next person who does something dirty, I'm just going to make a a call and throw you out of the challenge. So it's a little bit of different circumstances, but that's another case of, like, it's a little murky as to whether this is the first time this happens or not. No, no. I think Jay is correct, and I stand corrected. Mr. Fisher, uh, you have the floor. 
Well, no, I, now now I'm now I'm going to reverse my opinion because <laughs> I, I think that that's right. I mean, I think Jeff did clearly say you have to attack in the attack zone. You know, and I and I and I think that it's not just you know if they don't attack in the attack zone, Jeff's just going to say, "Hmm, you didn't attack in the attack zone. Mm-hmm. That's not very nice." Like there's a there's a consequence for that, right? Whereas with this one, it was, "Hey guys, murder each other. Hey, y'all are murdering each other out there." I don't. Well, like... there was also no dog barking here. There was no Gandia, <laughs> so it it doesn't count. Yeah, no no sexy biting between uh, Mike Barassi and Eric. <laughs> Yeah, I just wrote in my notes here that Jeff Probst warns the players that the brutal challenge is starting to get brutal. I'm like, well, no shit, it's brutal. You set it up this way, Probst. Yeah, so and, uh, let's let's be fair here that Ben is not the only one out there doing cheap shots on people and hurting people. There's a shot of Laura Morat just basically uh, like savaging poor Natalie White. They're, like it's she's got her in a choke. She's throwing her over her shoulder to the ground. It's just it's brutal and it's everyone. And eventually Jeff just has to call timeout. He's like, this is way too too much. You guys got to stop. And again, that's that's what uh, Ben gets nailed for. He's the first one to break the rules after the warning. But up until the warning, it's really everybody out there. Ben is hardly the only one doing it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the inciting incident to get Jeff to make the ruling is actually when Liz is about to catch a ball and Shambo just railroads her and just throws her down to the ground from a from a side tackle, and that causes Jeff to be like, all right, guys. But that being said, I, I see what you're saying, Mario, but after Jeff says, okay, don't do it anymore, you have to kind of give the blame to the guy who says, okay, you said don't do it anymore, but I'm still going to do it anyway. And the fact, oh, that he di- the fact that he didn't even acknowledge it at Tribal Council, that he says, oh, you know what, that was a stupid rule anyway. It just, <laughs> not, the, not the best sort of uh, words coming out of Ben's mouth, though they will, they will pale in comparison to some other stuff he says. I was just yeah. going to say, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna get on Ben about that? <laughs> I have to give a little story here that kind of ties into this. When I was a kid, I played youth basketball through the Boys and Girls Club, and my dad was my coach. And my dad... A notorious uh, rule breaker, some might say. He got kicked out of the boys club, boys and girls club a couple times. He got technical fouls. He basically had a rule on our team is that we were never the most athletic team, but we could be the dirtiest. And basically in basketball, if you intimidate the other team, they're scared to go in and, and shoot baskets. So that was always kind of the rule that we played with on our team, that you you have five fouls, use them. Like if you came out of a game with less than four fouls, you had not done your job. And that was kind of always the rule in basketball, even as a kid, I'm talking 9, 10, 11 years old, that you can be as dirty and as mean as you went under the boards until the ref warns you, then back off. And that's very similar to Ben in this challenge. Once the ref warns you, then you got to be nice. So it's if you're the asshole at that point. But up until that point, the warning comes, it's kind of fair game in games like this. Boy, those that yeah. Washington basketball, let me tell you. Hey, it was fun. Again, hey, you're not athletic. Anything you can do to stay in the game. I can only imagine what Shambo playing basketball was like, especially the sweatband that she rocked was probably uh, for the world. But yeah, so, I mean, we can probably sort of just like yada yada through this a bit just because everyone's sort of throwing each other around. Foa Foa, for what it's worth, does score the first point. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then Galoo starts catching up. Then, you know, Jeff gives this ruling and sends Ben out of it because essentially, you know, Russell Swan, he's kind of pushing people around a bit. But Russell runs to the other side of the, the pit, and Ben decides in that moment, hey, I'm going to trip him from behind. Yeah. Uh, and so Jeff very clearly throws him out, in which Ben responds just saying, oh, yeah, outlaw, baby, which is just a great branding from Ben Branding Browning. <laughs> I was going to say, if you're going to get kicked out of a challenge, that is a good cheap shot to do. I, As a former basketball cheap shot artist myself, I respected that one. If you're going to get kicked out, the kick of the legs out from underneath them is a good way to go. 
Uh, but they get to round four. It's the first to score three. And Eric, it, Mike Barassi had been like, he was pumped for this. He had been really getting into it specifically with Eric. <laughs> Eric finally gets his revenge here where he just just tackles Mike, just shoves him to the ground. And Mike is very stunned and just is really just shambling around, much like Jay was when we woke him up to do this podcast. <laughs> and it gives Galoo enough time to get the ball and score, and Galoo wins. Yeah, yeah, Barassi's great because he comes into this challenge wanting to be the badass until reality kicks in that he's 80 and out of shape, and these young guys are just going to blitz him. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's a great shot at the end of the challenge where <laughs> Barassi's been stunned, and he's walking around. He has no idea where he is. He's just kind of shambling around with his gut hanging out, and he looks like Baloo the bear from, I think, Jungle Book. That's the kind of the, the comp I was thinking of. <laughs> like he's completely been dominated. So, yeah, so this is, uh, I mean... It's very sad what happens to Barassi in a second, but it's a little bit of his own medicine that Galoo wins the challenge, Fofo loses, and Mike Barassi ends up basically on his back, completely winded and stunned that these young guys just beat the crap out of him. But wait, with the reward and immunity comes, of course, a note. Oh, that's right, the note. Okay. Yeah, so this is one where you win the challenge, you win reward, you win immunity, and you uh, get a little twist as well. And so Russell Swan gets to open the thing that Galoo just won, the little uh, twist, and says, uh, uh, you get to pick one of your members from Galoo. You're going to go to the other tribe, to Foa Foa. You can observe them. You go to tribal council. You'll get intel on how it's going to go down tonight. And he picks uh, his uh, little sister, Yasmin, to go to go observe Foa Foa. And this is going to go smashingly well. She's going to fit in so well over there. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, but Galoo wins. Yasmin's going to go with the Foa Foas. And as everyone's leaving, uh, Jeff notices that um, Mike Barassi has died and is laying over there in the dirt. And so they send in medical to check on him. And this is where we're going to get the end of the legendary Mike Barassi story. Don't worry, he's waiting for a little thing called All-Stars 2. Yeah, I was going to say, which medical evacuation has been more lost to time in Survivor? Mike Barassi's or Papa Smurf's? I didn't remember there was a Mike Barassi until I Joe. watched the season. Yeah, Or Joe. Yeah, Joe might be a contender in there as well. Yes. You could also throw like Dana in there from Survivor Philippines, maybe to complete the Mount Rushmore. Oh, there. <laughs> the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, that's, that's Survivor Philippines too. Those are the four they're going to bring back. Yep, exactly. That's they're all gonna captain those tribes. But yeah, I mean, this is. A, I mean, it's a, it is a little bit of a scary situation. It's tough to I think represent in terms of medical issues something like low blood pressure. But mm -hmm. the fact that apparently his blood pressure dropped thirty points just by standing up, and I think he talks in his like final words uh, about like how he he was shambling around and it was kind of funny, like you said. But he actually was sort of like seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Like he <laughs> he. We're going to get to a moment in a few episodes where some, the, probably the closest someone has come to dying on the show, but Mike Barassi might not be that far behind him. Yeah. For those people who don't know medical <clears throat> who don't know medical stuff like why blood pressure drops, that's basically there's a couple reasons why your blood pressure would drop. One is some kind of blockage in your heart. It's not pumping enough blood. You could have a clot. You could have a heart attack, something like that. And so that's what they're very concerned of here that Mike's got an abnormally low blood pressure and they're worried that he's got something going on with his heart and he's old and he may have heart issues in the past. So yeah, they immediately, you do not mess with stuff like that with low blood pressure. It seems like something innocuous, but it, it, it's a sign of something way more serious. So Barassi's yanked almost immediately and Mick, who happens to be a doctor, please remember there's a Mick on this season. 
Mick even concurs, like, yeah, you don't mess around with Lobo. He's in the sure. final three. I know. That's the thing. You forget he's on the season, yet he's in the final three. So anyway, yeah, Mick agrees. He's like, I was if I'm a doctor, I, I if I'm the survivor doctor, I'm yanking him too. That was absolutely the right call. So we lose Barassi, and now basically it's just Betsy all by her lonesome against Big Bad Foa Foa, and this is not going to go well for her. But don't worry. We, we have some time to cut back to Galoo as... Shambo proves how much of a master fisherwoman she is. <laughs> yeah. And this is my argument with, with Samoa being a good season. So many people say, well, Galoo never gets any, any airtime. It's all foa foa, which is accurate. I can't dispute that. But every so often, you just go to Galoo for a little bit, and something fun will always happen. And so you know, like you're just grasping for any little joy coming from this other tribe you never see. And this is one of my favorite seas, uh, scenes in the season. I got, I got a funny 115 entry here where Shambo tells everyone, you know, they want fishing gear. She's going to go fishing. She's the star. She goes out there. She can't find anything. She basically just floats around for a while. And everyone's got all their expectations up back at camp. And Shambo comes back and said, well, you know, it's just like a, a pond out there. It's all murky. You can't see anything. She's like, there's good news and there's bad news. And they're like, well, what's the what's the bad news? She's like, well, I couldn't catch anything because I'm a spaz and I, I'm terrible. And they're like, well, what's the good news? And Shambo's like, well, there are fish there. <laughs> and so we get this wonderful confessional that it, that is really kind of, was kind of lost in time. It's one that a lot of not a lot of people remember, unless you've read the funny one fifteen or just watched the season recently. There's no way you'd remember this quote. It's just a funny little moment where Laura does an impression of Shambo saying, he goes, yeah. I, there's good news. You'll never believe this. There's fish in the ocean. <laughs> and she does a little gasp. And it's just the, the funniest, cutest little scene. And it's one of these rare, fun Laura moments that I just, I hope everyone appreciates that little scene. Because that's all we're going to get for Galoo here for a while. I love Shambo also saying that she's a yogi bear back floating. Like, the, the, it's, it's really funny to hear Galoo say, oh, yeah, Shambo's been out there for a while. I'm sure she's bringing in a load of fish. Cut to Shambo lounging on her back in the middle of the swamp, being like, oh, this is great. I'm having a good time. And then her not just saying that there are so much fish. They're saying the good news is that there are hundreds on thousands of fish in that reef. <laughs> I like. I love when she gets defensive. Like, oh, you broke the I No, I didn't. No. <laughs> she's like, it floated off. <laughs> Yeah, it works perfectly fine if you can find it. And then and then she gets the attitude with them where they're like, you couldn't find it? She's like, it's in the swamp. <laughs> like, again, Do I have like, to draw you a map? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Laura, but there's good news. There's a mouthpiece in the swamp. <laughs> like, totally, like, no responsibility for any of this. You're like, uh, it's in the swamp, dumbass. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. <laughs> it's, it's the bull in the china shop with, with Shambo again, where, where like, you know, she she has this military background. And one thing she says in, in episode one is, you know, she feels like Russell sometimes is not that uh, uh, decisive of a leader because they're going off and swimming together and all that sort of stuff. And she's like, if I were a leader, you know, I would be kicking ass and taking names and, you know, getting everyone on a schedule. And that's how it goes. And it's like Shambo comes back and she's like, I lost the mouthpiece. And everyone's like, you lost mouthpiece. And she's like, well. Look, man, let's let's not let's not let's not assign blame, you know, and you're sitting there going like, dude, what if you were in the military and you lost a piece of equipment, it probably wouldn't end well for you. Yeah, I think um, I think it's Laura who and previously on compares Shambo to like Gilligan on steroids. And that pretty much also describes Shambo is that I think it's interesting comparing her to coach and that coach claims he has all this experience. But I feel like nobody really wanted to give him any opportunities for what it's worth. Galoo gives Shambo these opportunities. We're going to talk about the chickens in a couple episodes and the fact that Shambo screws it up 
each and every time is pretty incredible to watch, I have to admit. Here's my impression of Shambo. Hey, guys, good news. There's a chicken up in the tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, now we have a pet. <laughs> yeah, but, okay. but I think that, it, that that's a weird thing with Galoo, and it's it's just it's, it's mind-boggling to me how how they keep winning because they they seem to be you know sort of a recipe for disaster but i think you know they're all sort of on the same page in a lot of ways and that's the whole thing you see in episode one galooza not working tribe yeah you know they're a tribe where you know again it's it's my advice to you when you go on survivor is your tribe a working tribe do you better work if they're not working tribe you better not work yet there needs to be somebody usually doing the working stuff and i feel like shambo for all we uh, make fun of her for she does you know do a lot of canteen filling and fire tending and she does a bunch of stuff uh, sort of helping out Galoo in a lot of the ways and yeah Galoo people are chipping in like Dave Balls probably helping with fire and all this sort of stuff but like Shambo's doing a lot of the stuff and and she's not engaging in all the all the play and whatnot and and the, but the problem is is that you know she's just sort of on the outs so so when she does something wrong it's like it's them against her yeah and let's be fair to Galoo, you said why that you don't know how they keep winning challenges and dominating. They have some fantastic challenge performers on this track. You got yeah. Laura, one of the all-time legendary puzzle makers. You got rocket scientist Juan Fincher. You got Dave Ball, who I think after the season comes out, he has like an IQ of like 150 or something. Like they have yeah. some legitimately brilliant people on this team. They're way, way more advanced than the poor Foa Foas in these challenges. But do they have cardio? <laughs> Well, speaking of Galoo, I guess we should talk about, uh, I mean, Yasmin brings that sort of chaotic Galoo spirit to when she becomes the first ever emissary from Galoo to Foa Foa, and Yasmin <laughs> decides to rouse the troops by giving such a, a motivational speech to Foa Foa this about is how, fantastic. <laughs> hey, I'm not the enemy, I want you guys to do well because I don't want to make it too easy for my tribe. <laughs> Yeah, it's it smacks of Sandra being the emissary back in Pearl Island. She's Sam there Sandra to help them. Stra- she's there to help them strategize. <laughs> yeah. I don't want this to be a cakewalk. <laughs> yeah, this is again. It's a it becomes an uncomfortable scene later, but it starts very fun and it's like this is a complete train wreck of a scene right here. Yasmin, for people who haven't seen it, Yasmin goes over to Foa Foa, basically lays down the law. This is how successful people do it. Let me explain it to you guys, and they're like, "Fuck you!" That's not how it works. And so uh, even Russell, Russell, you know, with his intense respect for all women, says, you're going to you're going to pay disrespecting me, woman. And uh, yeah, so uh, what's going on here? So uh, Yasmin comes over. She has a little clue. She gets a clue to an idol. She realizes it's up in tree. She uh, pulls Ben aside. This is this is going to go well, where Yasmin says, Ben, let's have a little conversation about cheap shots, which to start with is a bad idea. I mean, that was, he got kicked out of the challenge. It's over. You probably don't want to rile him up again, but it's going to go very about a po- as poorly as a conversation can go here for both of them. It's weird because you would think that when she's talking about cheap shots, she's talking about him tripping Russell. But I think he, she's talking more so about something that got lost within the shuffle of everything, which is, you know, while everything was going on, I think Ben had also pushed Yasmin up against the, the walls of the yeah. pit. And so she was more so mad about that. She essentially said, like, listen, you're a man. I'm a woman. Obviously, you have a different type of physique than I do. You shouldn't be shoving me around like that because I obviously I'm not able to fend for myself in comparison to you. And, yeah, things um, things go south from here in yeah. a matter of words. 
and we'll kind of skip through it because I don't want to get too much into what's said. But basically, give you the the Cliff's Notes version here that uh, Yasmin starts attacking Ben. That he's a cheap shot artist. He's has no class. He says, "Listen." He doesn't like the way she's phrasing stuff. He says, "Listen, grammar school," and she says, "Listen, ignorant." And they just kind of go from there. And then, yeah, so he just starts railing on her certain attributes that he doesn't find perhaps pleasant in her. And at one point, this is where this is a, a kind of a scene that's. Uh, it's unpleasant, but it, it bears being mentioned because of the parties that are involved. And that's the only reason why I'm bringing it up is that Ben goes back to camp and we're going to hear we're going to hear a quote here where he calls Yasmin ghetto trash. And he says she needs to go back to eating ketchup sandwiches and drinking Kool-Aid, which some historical uh, connotations with some of those things there that Ben obviously is drawing into. But the thing that the reason I wanted to bring up that scene is because clearly Ben's just being an asshole, an ignorant asshole and saying stuff that doesn't look good. But a lot of people remember this as being a confessional as him saying this in a confessional but it's not a confessional and i bring this up because the person he's saying it to is his buddy russell and that ben is sharing a comment that he knows only one other person on this tribe will appreciate the ghetto trash line with his buddy russell and it's kind of a side comment and again i need to point out that russell fan favorite award right there so just wanted to bring that up and i'm sure I'm sure nobody has anything to talk about on this one. <laughs> no, let's get past uh, Ben's more inflammatory comments and get to him deciding to, of course, completely, you know, uh, redeem that image by just chopping wood right next to the shelter in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah, this is the one. We get some confessionals. Ben has a loose, he's a loose cannon. He's starting to lose his cool. He's saying things we don't like. He's making racial comments around Jason, which is a horrible idea because Jason's very important here. And now, yeah, Ben... Decides in the middle of the night he's going to start chopping wood and wakes everybody up, which is a fantastic a, uh, Mike Scoopin level of uh, social interaction with your tribe mate. Just going to do chopping wood while everyone's asleep. So Ben is quickly digging a hole. Any chance he gets with his tribe, they're starting to see he's a big problem. And yeah, this is a uh, and this is where it becomes where the vote was obvious. It was going to be Betsy. Betsy's the old one. She doesn't really fit in. She's, you know, cross paths with Russell. But all of a sudden, now Ben is on the chopping block as well. It's going to be Betsy or Ben, all 100% of Ben because of Ben's actions in the past 24 hours. And again, things have to be going really, you have to be doing very poorly for yourself on Survivor when you're a young, athletic male who's the only one who can start fire and you're already a target at episode two, which I think speaks volumes to how well Ben is playing the social game around here. All right, where are we? Let's lead into tribal council here. So we uh, got uh, Betsy pleading with the young girls, please don't vote me tonight, vote Ben. If Ben's around here, you'll never have any, any cohesion. It will never be a good camp. He'll always be too much drama. And uh, and of course, of course, because this is how the season's going to roll, right before we go to tribal council, and again, this is a pattern. I will say this until I'm blue in the face. Every time before they go to tribal council, the editors will show Russell's confessional because they want you to think, that whatever Russell Russell says will be the most important thought process. And of course, Russell says, Betsy's gone tonight because she threatened me. Whatever I want happens. And again, just classic editing technique. Go from there right to tribal council. We're going to see Betsy get voted out. You're going to think this is 100% because of Ben, uh, because of Russell, when clearly other people are going to want Betsy too. She was gone too. She was a target before this. And Betsy's going to go. And again, it's just, it's just this crap that the editors are going to start doing here. And they've already been doing it where... Russell will inadvertently start getting credit for every single thing that happens as if nobody else has an opinion on anything. How much do you think in another world where Betsy survives, she becomes the next Amy O'Hara? They're both Northeastern cops. It feels like 
she was sort of cast in that archetype. I know she said that she had been applying for a while, but do you think she might have had a different trajectory in the game had these variety of factors not happened that led to her boot? I think she has a ton of potential and a lot of things I didn't realize until um, some of her pre-game stuff that I was watching on. And she only became a cop in the last couple years of her life. She started at like age 46. She went uh, to the academy to do her stuff. She was um, an addict for a while. She was like, you know, a recovering addict. She had all these like really interesting stories that we really don't get to hear from. And I really think she had the potential to be a great survivor character that we were sadly robbed of because yeah. she threatened Russell and she was old. But yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say she had the potential to become Amy O'Hara. I say she was Amy O'Hara. I think she was very strong and visible and memorable for a two episode character. And I would I've argued before that I think that's one of the strengths of Samoa. Episodes two and three feature characters who were very prominent and strong characters and had a very visible arc. Betsy has a very strong start and arc. Ben has a very strong start, controversy, and arc. So that's the thing. I think she was important to the season. I think she really is kind of why I think the start of the season is very strong. Characters like Betsy who make themselves visible and a valuable part of the storyline. So would you say that Betsy would have... Like, Russell Hance, if you're lying about you being a Houston oil guy, I'm going to come find you in Louisiana, and I'm going to I'm gonna come tackle you and beat the crap out of you. Meet gonna... you down? Is that the... Exactly, yeah. you down, yeah. Like a red-headed stepchild. Yeah, so Betsy would have... She may indeed have, but we haven't heard from Russell in a while. I don't know if she, she indeed did come and beat him down, but it's possible. Yeah, so, yeah, Betsy is voted out here. And again, the narrative is, well, because she threatened Russell... And you know the narrative is more, well, Ben is a dick, but at least he's strong and young. We probably need him for a little longer. You know that's probably the real narrative, why Betsy goes home and not Ben. But no, Probst does not trust you with that. It has to be she threatened Russell, and Russell gets his way. Well, and we also get, you know, another another classy way to highlight Ben of him, you know, shooting the camera as he's voting for Betsy. I should point out. He does that to Marissa as well, if you watch. That's his little gimmick. He shoots her when she's leaving as well. Oh, great. He shoots everyone. Even better. That Ben Browning branding, again, comes back. Uh, though I do I do like at least the mini play of like, oh, it's the criminal versus the cop that they do in this episode. You know, Betsy uh, sings the cop's theme song, which I'm surprised she didn't get a reaming out like when Cesarino did the, the na-na-hey-hey vote for Roger. But it, it was an interesting counterplay. I, could, I don't remember, but I could imagine that the promos for that episode were like, it's the cop versus the criminal. Who will prevail, good or evil, on the side of the law? Russell will prevail. <laughs> <laughs> Russell invented law enforcement. But yeah, on her way out, Betsy has some good speeches. She has some good lines. She has a big speech about how, you know, we got a guy like Ben in every town. They just slide right under the rules. They know they're not actually breaking the law. They're just right there. They know someone else is worse. He goes, I know this type. I know him. So yeah, Betsy has... She's got some good moments here. It's a very strong episode for her, and she goes out with her head high. Not to say the same thing for Ben, who has a good quote here. This is one I think, Mike, you were alluding to earlier, where Jeff says, Ben, any regrets about uh, anything you've said or done here? And, and Ben's like, well, you never said we had to play by your sissy rules during the challenge. And Jeff just sighs, and then he doesn't regret the trip. And then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just a... Ben is going to double down. He's just going to keep playing the outlaw to the hilt. And we lose Betsy, but Ben will Ben will be soon to follow. Ben loves the word sissy. We're going to hear it a good amount of times over the next couple of episodes, fortunately. 
And I haven't heard that word since like the 1950s. So I'm, I'm impressed that he's gone back in the retro world here to go sissy. That's like what leave it to beaver and leave it to beaver. They'd use that word. It's interesting to imagine though, like Betsy, Ben and Yasmin and Marisa all on this like pre jury trip together. I can only <laughs> imagine the stories that came out of that. Yeah. I feel like there's in a lot of ways, Ben stuck in the fifties. <laughs> he's like ward cleaver that one all right so episode three the ben episode oh look at our time we're really going slow here we're terrible <laughs> i told <laughs> you, you dude you were like you were like dude we're gonna get all these episodes i'm like we're gonna get like three okay okay let's get through the ben episode okay so previously on segment we start episode three and of course it's going to be all about russell again just jeff wielding this previously on as a weapon to an extent we've never seen at this point in the show, he's going to get, he's going to keep doing this later after Samoa. But Samoa, if I recall, is really the first time he's really driving home his storyline in the narrative. Is that correct? I'm sure Paul may remember this. Yeah, I mean, this is, yeah, I mean, it, it just like, it's kind of like what Mike was saying. Like, it, you hear it so much that you kind of just tune it out anymore. Like, Jeff just starts talking about him and he's previously on Survivors, and you're just like, okay, like zone out because it's like the same thing we've heard again and again and again. But also important to note that there are also a lot of highlighting of Ben. Obviously, this is his boot episode, but uh, this is what really led me to think about, okay, all this chaos that supposedly we're being sold about, about Russell. Also, a huge part of this is the fact that Ben is in the game. So um, even though it is predominantly Russell's big storyline, we do get a lot in the previously on Survivor about what's going on with Ben. Yeah, and it's funny because if, if you would ask the players in the season, who was the big prominent player? Who was the big name in your camp those first three episodes? They're all going to say Ben. No one would have said Russell. <laughs> it's kind of funny to think how the TV version and the real version would have been different. And to answer your question, do you not remember there were two tribes in the jungles of Gabon, the the predatory coda and the lowly prey that is the Fong tribe? I feel yes. like, again, that was the very first time it was really starting to, besides like, and then Parvati did this. Parvati yeah. orchestrated this move. So those are really, again, the seeds that were planted that really came to germinate. Uh, around Russell in particular. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, it started before this, but he really goes off the rails to an extent we've never seen before in this season. Would you call it a probe seed? I would call it a probe seed, yes, Jay. Okay. Nice of you to wake up. Hey, you know, good to be here. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, the previously on segment is, you know, Russell did this. Russell's the only one who's got it figured out. It's all under his control. Russell wanted Betsy out, so Betsy went. Russell gets his way. This really, this is what we're going to see, and this is why so many people to this day will always say, well, Russell controlled that season like nobody else ever has, because that's the way it's presented, and people who aren't savvy survivor watchers that watch these seasons over and over and pick out the editing and pick out the little nuances don't really catch how how much of a uh, anomaly this season is. It's different. It's presented differently than other seasons. And it's just one thing you notice when you look for it. Well, not to mention, I think one reason why we're, we're, we tend to buy into Russell's narrative is because, again, we're seeing a lot of Russell. Yeah. You, sometimes on Survivor, there's a scene in episode four, for example, where we hear a Russell-Natalie conversation and we see Russell's side and we see Natalie's side. This episode, to begin with, we have a conversation between Russell and Natalie. We hear Russell's side, but we don't hear Natalie's side. So as a result, when Russell says, these are the worst group of people in Survivor history, and I might be the best, you're, you don't have an opposing viewpoint to say, oh, well, he's definitely wrong about that. You sort of yeah. have to make your own assumptions. But since we're sort of being given that narrative, it, it makes sense that we're going to accept it without a grain of salt. Yeah. In fact, in this scene you just mentioned in particular, I just wrote in my notes that it's a huge dick move. That the producers, 
obviously they know. They know Natalie's going to win and Russell is not going to win. And they probably disagree with that ending, as many fans will. And to a level you have never seen before in Survivor, the fans are going to really howl outrage at the end of the season. But the producers and editors are not helping Natalie's case at all. She has not had a confessional yet. Nope. And then this a scene like this, and I specifically noticed in the editing, that Russell says, this might be the worst group ever. And they will they cut, the editors cut specifically to Natalie, a shot of Natalie. Like, why would you, why are you selling out your winner like that? That's just a dick move. You don't have to cut to Natalie. You could have cut to any other thing when Russell's talking about how everyone here is the worst, but the producers specifically pick Natalie. And it's just, again, it's a producer seed because they're setting the tone of how they want you to view the end of this season. It's just, it's just kind of a dick move to sell out your winner like that. They probably well, couldn't catch a shot of Ashley because all that cardio, she was like, <laughs> gone, like couldn't catch her. Well, and I think this is this is one of the times, Mario, where, you know, and I, I know that a lot of people and, and you yourself in general, and, and I believe that way, too. I think that the the editors and the the storytelling that happens in Survivor is very good throughout all of the years. And, you know, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, you're not watching it right. The story's there. The story's a story. And I think with Samoa, there is a story. There is a story of Natalie winning. But I feel like the you know instead of like the dog that didn't bark or 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 things that happened in like episode 1 of you know Australia or anything like that i feel like you can see natalie winning in the things that she does especially in later episodes and there have been some times you know there are going to be some things in 4 and 5 where you see her like talking to people and and relationship building and you you can see her making connections with people but yet i would really really like to argue against the fact that you know they they were purposely doing this sort of under the radar edit with Natalie and and sort of this blowhard edit with Russell because as you said we are in episode 3 Natalie has not gotten a confessional yet mm-hmm. they've painted her in negative lights pretty much at all times on purpose you know and it's like you wouldn't do that for the most part you wouldn't sandbag your winner that badly at the beginning we would at least hear from her once or twice and so the whole well you it was there they they purposely showed you they just showed you in the background and all those other scenes it's like eh, or they were focusing on russell because he's a character and he's someone to talk about and he's on heroes versus villains next season yeah and obviously you and everyone is going to think I'm going to disagree with you and defend the editors. And But I, I 100% agree with you in this case that I don't re- appreciate the editing in this season. And I, again, I'm a, the first person to stick up for editors. I love what they do in the season. I, I 100% agree with you that there is no Natalie winner edit in this season. And even to the point, like you said, it's not even that there's no Natalie winner edit. Like they're flat out trying to sabotage her. They're just shitting on her because they, they do not want you to respect the end of the season. And, oh, it's going to be interesting when we get to the end of the season and you start getting into the Galoo uh the post-game interviews, why they would not vote for Russell to win. And it's going to be really fascinating. And I'm trying to hide that. I don't want to get into that too much, but there's a lot of stuff that the glues mentioned in their end game interviews that a lot of fans may not know about because they've been buried in history. And it's one of these things that the reason I think Russell loses the season is not something that people can really explain in interviews because they'll get in legal trouble for it. And they've hinted at it many times over the years. But again, like you said, there is not really a narrative in the season other than Russell is a badass. Russell's going to be on next season. Let's all appreciate Russell. And really, that is it. I 100% agree with you. I think the editors really did Natalie dirty. 
And uh, I can see why they did it. Again, Heroes versus Villains, their big 20th anniversary. It's a big season. They wanted this guy to be the star. They know he makes the finals in that season, too. It's a big, it's one of the most amazing accomplishments in Survivor. So they had an incentive to build up Russell and bury Natalie. I just think from Natalie's point of view, were I Natalie, were I a friend of hers, were I someone who knew her, I would think it was a dick move how they sold her out. They've never done that to a winner before. Well, let's move on to something less controversial. Ben insisting to the women that they can never strike the flint again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ben. You know he's already not doing well. He's he's a uh, he's a uh, had some issues with people, perhaps some racial issues, and now he's got some sexist issues where women don't have large enough hands to start fires, so they should never be allowed to strike a flint. So Ben is just going down the line here, pissing everyone off. Although, in his defense, he is. He's saying, well, I'm just trying to prove my value. I don't think he's necessarily realizing he's being so insulting to people. He's like, they have to realize my value that I can start the fire. I'm the only one here. But it's clearly not coming off that way. And this is where Russell's you know, tenuous grasp on controlling this tribe is going to fall apart even more, where Jason is going to flat out disagree with Russell, where Russell says, we can't lose Ben. We need him for the challenges. And Jason is starting a little underling, underlying revolt here, saying... I'm not going to live here with Ben one more day. He's ridiculous. Like it, it speaks poorly of us that we allow him to stay here. It just, it, it insults our character that we even allow him to be with us. So Jason is going to make a little stand here and he starts pulling in Mick. I will not live with Ben one more day. We have to get rid of him. So again, the, and it's funny because Russell will end up getting credit for, for Jason, for uh, Ben going home in this episode, which is just ridiculous, but it all starts here with Jason who, I would think is probably one of the more underrated and underappreciated characters in the season. I think Jason was far more important to the dynamics of the season than he ever got credit for. Yeah, I love Jason, especially in this episode. It's one of those rare moments, especially in these sort of middle eras of Survivor, where they talk about things that are outside the game. I think that the conversation at Tribal Council that we'll get to is pretty damn ugly. But I think it's a really interesting conversation, and it, it really speaks towards these social dynamics that I think draw at least the four of us, if not a good section of the fan community, back to the show. This idea of bringing in people from different walks of life who might not necessarily interact uh, in person. I do feel bad about what happens to Jason because I remember he had such a strong episode here, and everyone was on, at least I was on, the big Jason bandwagon. And then after that, he sort of wants to quit. He's not really happy, and he just kind of becomes miserable and it seems like he kind of clams up a bit and then surprisingly i believe in the post-merge like you'd think that the foa foa people the foa foa four would all get big edits because they're sort of the big underdogs but no it's pretty much all russell all this pre-merge jason stuff goes away in the post-merge despite the fact that he makes the finale yeah and this episode right here is the Jason episode. And yeah, like you said, you're expecting just dynamite from him after this episode, and it just never happens. This is really his story arc kind of ends here. It's really sad. All right, speaking of sad, let's cut over to Galoo for our 15 minutes of obligatory, 15 seconds of obligatory Galoo. I was like, 15 minutes? My yeah, God. I know. Sorry, that was a the brain may, fart. May, Maybe we'll get a whole ton of Dave Ball. <laughs> I, I do like here, there's some really fun stuff that happens with like, th there's some fun stuff going on with, like, the art direction and a lot of the production stuff that happens with this season. One thing that I noticed in this scene was the soundtrack behind the scene, where there's a, a military snare drum that comes in whenever Shambo appears on screen, almost like it's Shambo's theme. Like, that was just a very small difference that Russ Landau threw in there that I really enjoyed. 
Yeah, there, there's some neat little production touches in the season. And a couple episodes down the road, there's some stuff where in the uh, one of the challenges, they're doing all these fun little wipes and, and edits and stuff. So it's really cool. But yeah, there's there's some neat stuff that the, the, uh, the producers and editors are just doing from a production point of view that people may not notice unless you're watching this season. But yeah, so this is the scene where we go to Galu and uh, uh, Laura is leading her little 90210 crowd in yoga and Shambo doesn't like it and Shambo does all the work and Shambo feels out of place. And again, that's about all we're going to see from Galoo. <laughs> okay, so where are we here? Going back to Foa Foa. Here is a very important scene to this season and it's one that's completely overstated and we've referenced it several times. This is the Russell Seed scene. Who would like to explain to people what a Russell Seed is? No dibs. No. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> Fuck you, Mike. Uh, you guys know what a cordyceps is? It's a mushroom that gets into the brains of bugs and infects it and essentially tells it what to do. That's what a Russell Seed is, essentially. Yeah. He says that he's going to, uh, because he's going to mentally deplete people and because he's so much smarter than everyone, he is going to dominate them. They're his zombies, they're his puppets, throw whatever metaphor you want to in there. But that's essentially what a Russell Seed is. Yeah. Although I think you're being a little insulting to our audience. Clearly, the Survivor Historian's audience knows what a cordyceps is. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't want yeah. to speak down to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Please talk to her. We have a very intelligent listening group. So anyway, yeah. So Russell, this is where he explains what he does. He starts fights with people. He, I'm going to put a Russell seed in their head. I'm going to control their minds. So Russell basically wants to protect Ben. Ben is his really lieutenant in command. They're peas in a pod. They get along well. They share racial jokes about Yasmin. Big fan favorite, Russell, once again. But uh, so Russell wants to protect Ben. So Russell will start this whole little, this rumor that Ashley's trying to get Ben. He's going to try to turn the vote against Ashley. And again, for uh, for all the all the uh, the fanfare and uh, popularity and stuff and credit that Russell gets for stuff. It should be pointed out that his Russell seed does not work here and it, he does not get his way. But don't let the narration tell you that because that's not how it's going to be portrayed later. No, that earth was salted before Russell came by with his seeds. <laughs> yeah. And also, that's something that like Sesternino talked about, you know, um, and it, maybe it was on the, the infamous All-Stars commentary DVD. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was, which, by the way, I've mentioned it a million times, but if not, get the DVDs set or the or the commentary section for Survivor All-Stars, especially the episodes and the commentary that Sesternino and Rudy and uh, who else is on there? Uh, it's, it's Sesternino, Rudy and Jenna and Tina and Tina. Yep. And it is it is such gold the whole time. But I think, you know, Rob talks about that, about how, like, you go to a group of people and you're like, Hey, what do you think about this person? You know, they're like, oh, I think blah, 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 blah. That's cool. And then you go to the other people and go, man, they said this, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, they say something and then you just keep, you know, going back and forth. It means it's basically what Russell's talking about. It's the whole, you know, I'm going to, you know, create chaos by talking to people or introducing an idea and, you know, seeing how it runs and all that and stuff. And it's like, that's, I mean, that's, that's gossip. That's, that's, that's what's been going on forever. Yeah. I'm going to protect Ben by getting Ben voted out. Genius. 3D chess. <laughs> yes. So let's go to Galoo for another 10 seconds of joy. Uh, tree mail comes. They all get swimsuits. Yay! And then we get a shot of the Laura M, as always, frolicking with the young girls. It's an odd dynamic that she's always with the young girls. And Laura M and the young girls frolicking in their swimsuits, doing a little Charlie's Angels pose. 
And then we immediately cut to Shambo standing there in a dumpy sports bra, which is just a, it's a very brutal cut. And they put in like a little doink sound effect or something. And it just made me laugh because it was so brutal. And that's it. That's enough. That's all we need to know about. It's uh, Shambo does not fit in well with the Galoos. Let's just leave it at that. All right. So this we, we go to the episode three immunity challenge. This is the one where they uh, have to swim out and there's like a little attack zone. It's basically like Schmergen Brawl, but this time it's in the water, kind of. Good, so you can drown this time. Perfect. We really need to add water to this element. <laughs> Jason can get his horse in there and do a little water polo action. But yeah, so they have to go out. They have to run past the defenders and get these crates and stack these crates in like this little puzzle order. And uh, the reward, the only really interesting thing about this one is the reward that's going to come later. And uh, the reward is comfort. You get pillows and blankets. And this will become a, uh, a plot line later. So anyway, what happens? I don't have anything, any notes for this challenge, really. The, the only real thing is that, so the, the goal is that, so two, a pair runs out from each tribe, and there's also a third person of the same sex in the water to serve as sort of a blocker. That's what you were talking about, Mario, with sort of this Schmerg and Brawl carryover. And they put Ben in there. It's one of those rare challenges where Russell actually sits out, mm-hmm. uh, because he, he talks about this in a secret scene. He thought that, like, when a pair runs out, one person stays behind, and because he's not as good of a swimmer as Mick or Jason, he decides to sit out. So they decide to put Ben in there, and Ben, for all of his claim about how great of a challenge person he is, whiffs it pretty damn hard. I don't think he even catches any of the Galoom men in either pass that they make. <laughs> and yeah, it comes down to, it's not, I don't know if it's like a puzzle, it's you get four blocks, and on each side of the puzzle, there can't be matching colors, they all need to be different, but hey, look at this, Galoo wins. Yeah, surprisingly, the team with Laura and Dave, the geniuses, wins the puzzle portion. Yeah, it wasn't close. <laughs> yeah, so Ben's like, I'm not going to stop anybody. Outlaw. This is outlaw. <laughs> That's exactly what they want me to do. That would be following the <laughs> sissy rules, and I'm going to break the rules. Yeah, so Ben just absolutely sucks in this challenge, and it's really going to be his death knell once we get to Tribal Council. But yeah, Foa Foa gets crushed again. They're just hapless. They're never going to be Galoo in anything. And the only really interesting part that comes at the end of this challenge where Russell Swan as the leader, remember he's still the leader of the Galoos, Jeff says, okay, you've won this challenge, you win immunity, you get the reward, which is this uh, pillows and blankets. But if you want what's behind door number three, and he opens it up and it's a, uh, you can swap instead of, if you don't want comfort, you can have, what's it, function, which is like stuff for cooking and a tarp and things like that. It's like necessary things you'd need around camp. And uh, Russell has like five seconds to decide, and he, as a uh, married husband with daughters, immediately goes back to his instinct is happy wife, happy life. He's going to choose the thing that the girls will want, which is the blankets and the pillows. So he pisses off all the men on the tribe by uh, basically uh, catering to the women, getting them the the nice comfort pillows and blankets. All the women are happy. The guys are kind of incensed, and this is not going to go over well down the road for anybody. But yeah, that's this is where Russell kind of makes the bad decision here and picks the comfort. Yeah, I'm going to not choose the tarp. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. well, it was a tarp. Uh, I think Eric was talking about this in a secret scene. Like, it was a tarp. Apparently, it was a new mouthpiece to the snorkel. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, maybe Shambo, like, dissuaded him from that, saying, you just need to look in the swamp, and it's there. But, yeah, there were so many things. I mean, it really was a function kit, and, man, <laughs> such a stupid, short-sighted decision on Russell Swan's part to say, you know, we need towels and pillows. That's what we really need at Galoo. Yeah, I have this, back... Go ahead. I, was, I, I have this, like, vision of, like, this Samoan, like, just going on the random swamp and, and you know, just chilling or something. He's, oh, look, a mouthpiece. <laughs> I wonder where that came from. I like that Shambo's going to get back to camp. She's like, hey, everybody, good news. 
Guys, there's function items back on the challenge beach. <laughs> All right. So this is where I think we get Dave Ball's first confessional. Is that correct? And I only wrote that down because he refers to himself in the third person by saying Danger Dave would have chosen. Danger Dave disagrees. Danger Dave would have chosen the function items, which I appreciate. He went for the third person nickname there. Yep. And we're also going to get the, uh, we, again, some other story scenes are going to germinate here as Russell Swan decides to send my girl Shambo over to the FOA FOAs. And this is where Shambo, I wouldn't say Shambo refers to herself as like being friends with them. She almost refers to herself as a godlike status in going over to FOA FOA, which again is just so ridiculous. Yeah, she calls him like her following at some point. Yeah, like, she's like, I should have a real following. following over there. Yeah. I'm the fucking Pied Piper. I'm going to march these fools into the ocean. Would you say that they gravitated to her? <laughs> They're saying, wow, look at her. She's great. We love her. She's like a planet. We'll just revolve around her. She's going to plant a Shambo seed. So, yeah, so Shambo goes to Foa Foa, and, yeah, they all just, they love Shambo, and she loves them, and she's so excited because it's not the 90210 crowd. And I think they're just happy that someone's there who isn't Ben or Russell. So it's like a, a great little uh, moment, and Shambo fits in immediately. And, and the vote tonight is going to be Ben or Ashley. And Ashley, again, has been weak and been a target since the start. And plus, again, she was a... Uh, she was a last-minute replacement. Nobody even knows who she is. She just showed up on the beach like Lisey. Or it's going to be Ben, the asshole, who they're just absolutely tired of. And Jason is walking around telling people, if you don't vote that racist out tonight, I'm quitting tomorrow. So think about this very carefully. So, again, Russell will end up getting credit for this somehow. It has nothing to do with Russell whatsoever. It's really, do we want to vote Ben out tonight and piss off Jason or not? And that's really the storyline here. Not as the narrative would have you, not as the narration would have you uh, believe, though. I also want to talk about, on top of all this, Shambo gets the second clue to the idol, and she figures, okay, it's definitely in a tree. Now, look, I understand from a Foa Foa perspective that, okay, Russell was digging around in the tree, but you know what? He's on our tribe. Maybe he's helping out. When you have Shambo from the other tribe halfway up the tree trunk in the very same tree, and once again, you're all standing around her, how do you not notice that or do anything in response to that? <laughs> That's one interesting tree. Look at Shambo and Russell just love well, going up in there. Didn't she say, oh, look at this firewood or something? <laughs> firewood inside the tree? That's not yeah, how I chop firewood. Of course, that would be Shambo's stupid distraction. There's hundreds on thousands of wood yeah. in this tree. <laughs> hey, guys, good news. There's wood in this tree. <laughs> <laughs> this good news is this tree is made of wood. <laughs> Bad news, I burned down the camp. I'm so sorry about that. Oh, wait, sorry. Am I in the tree? I thought I was supposed to be about the tree. <laughs> Meanwhile, right. Butch got a heart on. <laughs> He's well, seeing a woman, it's... seeing a Cajun woman like Shambo in her jogging bra up in that tree of wood. <clears throat> well, it's about to become not, not dry real soon. Let me tell you something about that wood that, I, that she got. That wood Dry. I thought you were going to say it was not dry. He was believing the hell out of himself right there. All right, so all jokes aside, Shambo was very good in the scene. She's very diplomatic, the exact opposite of what Yasmin was when she came. I mean, Shambo says, hey, Mick, we call you McDreamy. You're awesome. Liz, you're so tough. You're amazing. I love you. So, like, all jokes aside, Shambo is doing very well here at integrating herself with a new tribe. They really do like her. Perhaps the gravitational part is a little much, but she does. I will give credit where credit due. Shambo 
does very good here. If they, uh, if we were to give an MVP to this episode, I'd give it to Shambo. Actually, yes, this is where I had written down notes. Like, I, as much as we like laugh and make fun of Shambo, like when you see those first interactions, like this is it's kind of cool that you can actually watch this on the show. You see her first interactions with these people. She starts every conversation with a compliment. Mm-hmm. She, you know, calls Ashley smiley girl. She comments on Ben's eyes. She like uh, she tells Liz like you are one tough chick like she, you can see how she gets by in life and obviously she's not with the right group of people and she does all these other things that are an issue but you can see generally how she is a social person that gets by because she like she gives everyone some a compliment as she talks to them so I really enjoyed watching that scene. Yep. Yeah, she was again a big fan favorite during the season. Kids loved her, the audience loved her, and there's a reason why she's a good character and she seems like a good person. She's just Again, kind of a disaster at certain points, but she seems like a cool person, a good person. And you can you can see it right here. Did she tell somebody that she dug their eyes and perhaps <laughs> their whole presentation? Sorry, she doesn't have that. She doesn't have that kind of charisma. Was she the one who said work hard, play hard in the preseason poll? Nope, Mike, that's your official guest. You may know you may no longer guess. Mario and Jay, you still have one guest left by the end of this podcast uh, next year. Ooh, do I get a t shirt if I get this? Sure. I'll talk to John Norton. Oh, someone says work hard, play hard, and it's not Shambo. Nope. So Mike uses guests on this podcast, so just keep that in mind as we move through the season. I'm going down in flames. No, I'm going down in flames. I think I'm going to guess it's who would work hard and play hard. Uh, you only get one chance. Laura? Laura Morit. <clears throat> you suck, Paul. Go to hell. So, Jay, it's all on you. Oh, God. I like how we just stop the middle of this podcast and just play. <laughs> just drop everything. Game. Give it a try. If you don't get it, you'll play Boy, boy guys, we uh we really uh we we really, you know, need to keep this moving. But let's uh This is like the Ellen show. Stop. Let's play a game get, in the middle. Get a guess. It's not is Laura it? it's not uh uh who'd you guess? Shambo? I, I don't think I guessed. Uh, uh Betsy. I totally guessed Betsy, yeah. Oh yeah, uh-huh. Barassi. <laughs> uh, is it Liz? <laughs> you win! Yes. What? How'd you do that? Oh, sure. Pick the Asian one, you racist. <laughs> well, because she's a little older, and um, it just seems like a dumb thing that an academic would say. Nicely, nicely done. Yeah. All right. Can we get back to the podcast now, Paul? Are you done now with your like, sick gotta, mind games? Got to send a couple of emails here to get that uh, T-shirt from John Norton, but you guys keep going. Yep. Okay. So Shambo is out there doing the, all this her Shambo stuff, and everyone loves her. And there's a fantastic little shot if you like humor. They cut to Russell, and Russell's got this big pouty lip because Shambo's too popular, and he hates it. He doesn't like when anybody's having fun on this tribe. Just a quick little shot. Okay, so let's go to uh, Galoo for 15 seconds. Yeah, Russell tells everyone, you know, I picked the I picked the the the, the comfort for the women. I got to make them happy. And then all the guys whine like we needed a tarp, and they're not wrong. Fincher and Eric and what if it rains? It might rain, Russell. And Russell's like, ah, well, it won't rain. <laughs> well, there, there's one I I personally forgot in my Samoa rewatch how big of a presence Eric was mm-hmm. in the pre in the pre merge specifically because we'll remember him as like getting voted out right at the merge, which I think was a little surprising because. I mean, maybe it's because he's a personality. Maybe it's because he has this idol-finding moment in the next episode and he becomes more involved with the strategy. But I'd forgotten how, you know, I would say of the Galoo characters, it was probably Shambo number one, Russell Swan number two. But I would definitely say Eric was number three because Eric consistently got some talking head moments over the course of these episodes. Yeah, if I had picked a winner, a potential winner, just watching the season for the first time, 
Russell, I'm like, they're just beating us over the head with Russell. That's too much. There's no way that guy can win. Those people don't win. But Eric probably would have been my winner pick of Galoo just because he is, like you said, getting a lot of airtime and a lot of the explanation and the rational thinking of why things are going the way they are. He's getting a pretty good edit here, and it will continue up until he goes. All right, so go back to FOA FOA. As, uh, have they already lost the immunity challenge? Yeah, we're already done here. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, so, yeah, so it's going to be Ashley or Ben tonight, and uh, this is where Jason really starts pulling his weight around camp, telling everyone, if we don't vote Ben out, I'm probably going to quit. I cannot live with him anymore. And, again, he is probably the strongest, most popular member of the tribe at this point. And, again, just look through the look through the edit. Look at the common sense. Jason is the rational one. He's the one that they like. He's the, the level-headed one. So you don't want to lose that guy. He's kind of the heart of the FOA FOAs here. And... Uh, yeah, I even wrote in my notes, watch Russell's going to get credit for this. But it's 100% JSON, and this is where it's going to go all the way the rest of this episode. Is there anything interesting that happens here before they get to Tribal Council? Well, I think one of the reasons why a lot of us were high on JSON as a winner after this episode is not just because of the stuff he did with Ben at Tribal Council, but he makes very rational arguments in general, which makes sense. He's a law student. That's what he's literally studying to do. But there's even this scene where he's talking with Mick and Russell it's basically shooting holes through all of their arguments. You know, they say, well, Ben's good in challenges. And Jason just says, name one thing he's done in a challenge. And they're just like a little stunned for a second because they can't name anything. This is the guy who got himself purposely kicked out of the challenge in the last episode for tripping someone after being warned not to. And he's someone who did not do anything in terms of tackling people to let the others by in this challenge. And then Mick says, well, you know... I'm afraid if we'll get rid of Ben, then the women will join up and gang up on us. And Jason's like, what are you talking about? They need us. It's Liz and Ashley and Natalie. Like, they're not going to, to go on a, a spree to take out all of these guys. So I feel like Jason does a good job here. I'm not, I think a lot of people talk about his moment. Interesting strategy on his part, as you mentioned, Mario, of like, hey, I know I'm pretty popular here, so I'm going to threaten, even though I'm not going to do so, of leaving if Ben leaves the game just to sort of really get that point across. Uh, but I think he does a good job as well of really poking holes in some of these big arguments as to why Ben, quote-unquote, needs to stay around. Yeah. And again, all the other power players want Ashley Gonta. They want to keep Ben. And Jason's the only one sticking his line in the, his foot in the sand for ethics and, you know, just what's right and what's wrong. We cannot let this guy. So, again, it's you always get this this idea of Samoa's Russell just gets his way. Russell drives everything. And this is one episode that's demonstrably true i mean that's false demonstrably false in this episode russell clearly doesn't get his way it's not even close this is clearly russell's even telling people he's like ashley's going home tonight uh not ben ashley mark my mark my words like whatever so it's like anybody who just thinks that russell marches unopposed to the end watch this episode this is the one that clearly shows you just don't remember that season very well okay so the one thing that happens here is Russell realizes he's starting to lose control, any control he had over this tribe. So this is where he shows his idol to Mick, correct? It's just to try to draw in a little trust. Like, I need to make sure Mick's with me. Mick still realizes that he can trust me. So Russell's desperate to keep any control he has. So he kind of draws in Mick, says, I have an idol. We can use this later. So this is a, uh, this is the one thing. And then Russell, of course, with his endless pull a string and you get one of Russell's uh, sound bites, his little catchphrases. I was born for this. This is what God made me for, which again has nothing to do with the plot of this episode. It's just Jason's not going to vote out Ben, but it's fine. We, I guess we give Russell his little moment right before we go, go to the next scene. All right, let's, let's get to this tribal council because I mean, I, I don't know if the outcome is necessarily worth 
all of this argument back and forth. Because, yeah, I mean, I still don't know if Ben comes from a place of pure hatred or if it really is ignorance like Jason is alluding to. It honestly might be a cross between the two because he just seems – Ben just comes across like someone who has no idea – how what he's saying is being perceived. You know, he says, I don't approach people with negativity. I react. He just, my thing is that Ben just keeps doubling down on what he's saying. He refuses to admit that he's wrong. And again, mm-hmm. I don't know what, what sort of place that it comes from, but uh, it just makes me very happy that he goes here. I, yeah. I'm so, so glad we did not get more than three episodes of Ben Browning. Yeah. I mean, everything that comes out of Ben's mouth backs up his, I'm an outlaw, I do what I want. And like, once he gets backed into a corner, he goes right into that mode again. I'm an outlaw. I'm not, I'm not apologizing for nothing. I say what I want. So it's like, yeah, that's really what happens here. Ben is on his way out. He thinks he has a stronger standing in the tribe than he really does. He doesn't realize how ethically opposed Jason is to having him around anymore. I don't think Ben realizes the danger he's in. But yeah, it's one of those things I think Ben is a great villain. I think he added a lot to the season. He absolutely should not have got more than three episodes. I'm glad he went out the way he did because of Jason in this manner. I think it was a fantastic first arc. And I just think, he again, he brings something to the season, and this is where it ends. And I'm glad he was there for the drama he brought. But, yeah, clearly his arc was done. He needed no – there was no reason to have him anymore. And just on the other side of that, you have a great moment with Jason where Jason gets a stand up, stand up for Yasmin for, you know, this racist stuff that you're saying. And, and it's going unopposed because no one else will say anything. I'll say something. I'm flat out tell you you're being ignorant or you're a racist and we can't stand for that. And so it's one of these like it's it's an applause moment on at home. You watch it and you clap it's like someone's doing the right thing. And it's nice because you don't always see the right thing being done on Survivor. This is one of those rare instances where someone's just doing the right thing. This isn't even really game related. He's just yeah. doing the right thing. I'm a good guy. I'm doing the right thing. This is what, this is how I was raised. My mom and dad would have loved me to do this. So that's the thing. So that's the one thing I take out of the scene that this is Jason's big moment. And sadly, it's going to be really his last big moment for the whole season. And Mario, I know that you had also noticed there was like a, a tiny little Natalie moment in here as well. Yeah, this is one just little fun stuff. Again, there's really, as Jay pointed out, there really isn't a Natalie winter arc. There really isn't a Natalie storyline. There's nothing. They give her jack shit. They so disrespect their winner. It absolutely infuriates me. And it's one of these things. Well, is she a good winner? Is she a bad winner? It's like. It fucking doesn't matter if she's a good winner. Winners don't compete against players from other seasons. They only have to beat the players on their own season. Like, Natalie's not competing against Parvati. She's not competing against Richard Hatch. It makes no difference. And it's just, again, it's just disrespectful to how they bury her. It's horrible. But there is a nice little scene here where if you're looking for any little scrap of why Natalie wins and her story arc, it's right here where Ben and... uh, and uh, Jason are kind of fighting a tribal council and they're screaming and there's little Natalie right in the middle of between them. And she's like physically recoiling and leaning back as they get more heated and more heated. And Jeff asks her, he's like, what's this like, Natalie, sitting in the middle of them? And here's her great quote. She says, I'm just leaning back because if fists fly, I don't want to get hit. I just don't want it to be me. Which is really fantastic because that really sums up the season. And I know that's probably why the editors left that in there because every so often they'll throw Natalie a little scrap thinking they're giving her a story arc or a winner arc or a winner quote. And that's really one of the closest things you're going to get. It's just one of these, well, everyone else is going to do damage and it won't be me because I'm just sitting over here in the corner not taking any heat for it. And that's that's the story of, of Samoa, like it or not. All right. So uh, we've gotten through this episode. At the end of this episode, let's see. Uh, yeah, like... 
Mike said, Jason says, I don't know if you're racist. I don't know if you're just being ignorant. And it's hard to tell what Ben's motive is. But again, we're we're done with him. He served his purpose. He's, he's gone. He well, I, one cherry on top of this, he really learned his lesson because in his exit interview, one of his quotes was, you know, just Jason, Jason, chill out. You're not a slave. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. But again, so that's, that's really outlaw. nice to hear. That's outlaw. You get backed into the corner. I'm just going to double down. I don't care. So. That's not what personally I would say. I would not recommend other people say that, but it does fit with... I would hope not, with, Mario. I would get off this podcast with you, just so you know. <laughs> if you say that, I'm officially off this yeah. podcast. No, but again, yeah, I, I had not heard that quote. That does sound very much like something Ben would say. <laughs> and then Ben's final words in the episode, even, where uh, Jeff is like, uh, Ben, anything you want to say to Jason? Anything, anything you've done in this game you'd like to apologize for or back down on or regret? And Ben's like, nope, nothing I can think of. <laughs> so again, I mean, Ben is what he is. He he serves a purpose in the narrative, and now he's done, and we don't have to talk about him anymore. And uh, I should point out again, the vote was six to one, and it was a hundred percent caused by Jason being the the, uh, the the key here. They don't want to lose Jason. They respect him too much. They need him. Russell has absolutely nothing to do with this vote whatsoever. In fact, it goes against his wishes. But I will point out, again, right before we go to this tribal council, the last thing we see is the editors cutting to Russell and giving a confessional where he says, I think I might have to change my mind. Insinuating, of course, that Russell will be the impetus behind Ben leaving when, again, anybody with critical thinking knows that's complete poppycock horse shit. Russell has nothing to do with any of this, and it's just the editors. The editors just being extra blatant in this one, making it look like Russell has anything to do with this, and he doesn't. And it's going to carry over in the next episode. And the previously on, they'll do it again. Russell changed his mind and voted for Ben. Like, fuck you, editors. <laughs> it's also interesting as well, as much as we talk about Foa Foa being this big dysfunctional tribe, pretty much all their votes are unanimous. So, yeah. yes, they might not be great at challenges, but they're all pretty much on the same page. Even in the Ashley episode, when they actually don't have any verbal communication as to what to do, they all are on the same page. Yeah, and that's Russell planting a Russell seed. I'm going to create discord by making them all vote unanimously. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck you, editors in Samoa. It's, it's such crap. There's, there's a fun season underneath all the editing crap. It's just... And again, it's yeah. I I cannot. I believe I'm agreeing with Jay and and bashing the editors because I never do that. But this is the one season that Jay's absolutely right. It's just it's just crap. And the one last thing I have to say about Ben here is that I appreciate. I don't know if you guys caught this when they torch when they snuff his torch. They add like this extra sound effect in Ben's. Did you hear it? It's like a hiss. Like I heard something in there that like just really punctuates it. Because yeah, I mean. <laughs> It's a very incendiary character, to say the least. I think uh, it, it it burns very nicely. Yeah, it's a nice little burn moment. And again, we see him go. And again, we're probably only going to get through three episodes in this podcast. But I would argue these are three strong episodes. I mean, it, it's crap what they're doing to Natalie. It's crap what they're doing to Russell. I wish we could see more glue. But these are three episodes that all serve a point. Marissa plays too hard and makes enemies. And then Betsy, you know, she stands up to Russell and she, you know, she, she tries her best, but she warns the younger girls not to trust him. Natalie, don't trust him. He's going to be a problem. And then the third one is Jason standing up for what's right. And we lose Betsy and Ben, who I admit, who I, I would argue are very strong characters for a season because they served a purpose. It's so much better than like Patricia Jackson getting voted out or someone that you don't, you don't care about. Like these two had a purpose in the narrative. And I think through three episodes, this is 
has the potential to still be a very strong season despite what the editors are doing to it. I mean, I would say that, I agree, but then we're going to get to the post-merge yeah. when, of course, you know, fan favorites like Kelly Sharbaugh, you know, getting the votes thrown on her or Brett nearly winning the game and that doesn't really get acknowledged. So there's, you know, uh, there's an upside and a downside to each yeah. of these things. FOA is getting a lot of time because FOA is going to tribal council. And so we're really getting to know people, maybe with the exception of Natalie, unfortunately, but she'll have her moment in the sun in a couple of episodes. But on the other hand, that unfortunately we're not laying too much groundwork for Galoo, that when eight of them make the merge, we only really know like four or so of them. Yeah. Any comments I have praising Samoa up to this point are only through what we have watched. I'm trying to keep it that way. So I know there's stuff coming down the road that gets very questionable and very slanted towards Russell. But at this point, I still think this season is pretty strong. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we, we, we've gone a lot, a lot of time on these first three episodes, but episodes four and five are so flipping fun. I know that's the thing. I feel so bad that like, I love episodes four and five. I talked about this at the beginning of the podcast. And of course he spent the whole podcast talking about the three episodes that I'm fine with, but don't love as much as the next two. Yeah. But, but the thing is, is that I don't want to talk about them now because I feel like they deserve a long breath, especially episode four. And just the fact that like Jeff Probst takes the day off. Like, it's just so good. Yeah. And we actually see Galoo. Yeah, that's the thing. Episode four is all Galoo. That's the thing. For all we're talking about this season being only Foa Foa, that won't 100% always be the case. The next episode is 100% Galoo. And even better than that, it's 100% Galoo character scenes. And I've written about this before. Anybody who's seen my website, The Funny 115, I think I have seven or eight entries just from the next episode. It's crazy how much fun stuff's going on Galoo in the next episode. So, and again, I think I would love to talk about it. We had planned to go through five episodes on this podcast, but I don't want to rush it. It's no. you can't rush the next episode. It's too fun and it, and if we look forward to it then we'll we'll set a recording date very quickly in the future cuz we want to get to the next episode. Absolutely, I'm down. There's that J seed finally coming to fruition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so one thing I failed to mention. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Stop. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Fill it with fire. Burn it. Should he stop? Should he start keep singing now, Jay? Is that what you want him to do? This is what you have brought onto him, Jay. We get it, Paul. No. You vape. <laughs> I don't think Montana. When, when does Montana get vaping? Probably by the year like 2040. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was I going to say? I think what Paul is trying to uh, say is. M-O-N-T-A-N-A. Hello, are you there? Can you We're hear here. us? Yes, I'm good. I like clicked something and I like muted a bunch of things. I was like, what the hell's going on? Okay. No, it was this is really not worth even saying because it's like a it, it's uh in favor of Mario. Um because Excellent. I was gonna say I have a distinct memory of the first few episodes in it might have been by episode three is all of when Samoa was airing. I remember Mario having a post on Facebook about really liking Survivor Samoa. So far, I think we're going to end up liking the season or years to come. I think this is a fun pre-merge, at least. So even back then, Mario was praising it. I've been very consistent over the years. I have never once said I don't like Samoa. It's a fun season. That's it, it loses a lot of its charm in the second half. But I will defend this one. I have enjoyed every episode we've watched so far. And I'm I'm doing my best. I, that's the, one of the things that 
that uh, that we try to be on the show, we try to be positive if possible, because it's not always possible. We don't always believe in a season or believe in what the editors are doing or the characters are doing. But we do try our best. And this is one personally, just for me personally, Mario, I would like to see people enjoy the season a little more, give it a little more credit than it gets. Well, so far, so good for me personally. I was definitely one of those naysayers of Samoa going in. I'm waiting for that worm to turn. But for now, I am I'm loving the worm that is currently in front of us. I mean, I liked Samoa when it aired, uh, but to be honest with you, this is one of the few seasons, well, we're starting to get into these late territories where I just have not really rewatched the seasons very much at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that Samoa is a season where I think I rewatched it once, but that was about it. And so it's, you know, I have a good memory of it from back in the day. And I mean, you know, obviously it lives in our hearts and minds with every day. But but not only that, just with with the funny one fifteen and other things like that, you know, re- reading those things, you sort of remember sort of the fun moments of the season, and I I sort of remember bits and bobs. But you know, it, it, that's a season where unlike a lot of other previous uh, seasons, I haven't seen it a ton. So mm-hmm. it's been fun to watch it on a rewatch because you know I, I haven't visited it in forever. But it's been fun. It still holds up. It's a nice little season. And, you know, the annoying thing on it is that, you know, like you said, with the extra stings like the snare drum for sand for Shambo coming in and things like that, it's incredibly well crafted. And yet I feel like they have this weird missing narrative going on. So it's just kind of like this weird parody thing, but it's a well put together show. Yeah. You know, the thing that jumps out at me that is so odd is that I'm watching the season and I'm like, this feels old school. And I, I, we try not to date this podcast when we record these because everyone's going to listen to them in the future. Who knows when? But like, hello from the future. Yeah, exactly. Like we season 35 just aired and we're here talking about season 19. And it's like season 19 feels so much closer to Australia and Borneo than it does to where we are with season 35. It, it's odd to say that Samoa is an old school season, but it kind of feels like it in a way. There, there really isn't that much discussion of idols or advantages or anything. It's very much still conflict-based, character-based, survival-based, stuff like that. Like, there's some episodes here that are just brutal with the players trying to survive. And, like, the game is secondary. No one cares about the game. They're just trying not to die. But that's also kind of because of this season, though, right? And that's what we we sort of talked about in the very beginning of the podcast. I think things in terms of this style of gameplay and the idle stuff are really going to accelerate after Samoa, after Russell really catches on it. I wouldn't say a popular figure, but at least a, a talkative figure. Someone people really orient a lot of survivor discussion and conversation around. So they're definitely going to orient the games and the seasons more towards those things. We're going to get to Survivor Nicaragua, where the way they hide idols is around what they call the Russell Factor. Quite literally, to make sure that people try to not find these idols by just sticking their hands up trees. So I would say, you know, graphing it out, it's a much like steeper curve, I would say, post-season 19. So... Maybe the reason why you're feeling that, Mario, is we're watching sort of the zenith of mm-hmm. it. And everything from here on out, I was arguably after Heroes versus Villains because uh, the returning players didn't see Russell, so they had no idea of the squirreliness that he was about. But starting around Survivor Nicaragua is when we're sort of going to start getting into some of these more quote-unquote modern Survivor elements. So that's why, even though there's 20 people, even though you know there, there's like some unintentional double boots 
going on, even though there, there are idols that are starting to come into play. That's why maybe it feels a bit more old school compared to some of those other seasons, especially the ones that you have been recently covering on the Funny 115. Yeah. And to flip that on its ear, what you just said is that you are probably correct. This is the season that leads into where Survivor evolves to. But I think Samoa gets lumped in with that as, well, Samoa is the one where it all goes bad. Samoa itself is actually a pretty decent product, I think. Like, I don't think, I think it gets lumped in with some things that aren't actually going on in it. Well, that's like... I mean, that's like anything that that happens, right? In the sense that in the in the first season of Survivor, we do have uh, an alliance formed between you know the the people on Tagi. But at the same time, it's just this weird like sort of four person voting block that comes together, and you know the the whole the whole strategy of like forming a majority and then you know getting the advantage at the merge and then you know trying to pagong people. Like, I mean. Even though we have the term pagonging, like they didn't necessarily have to because pagong was voting all over the place, right? So like it's it's a, it, you know, even even Borneo is not of its sort of time with the strategy. Like it, you know, everything is sort of delayed, you know. And so I get your point where everyone lumps Samoa in with sort of the modern era, whereas like it probably isn't of itself the modern era, but it is the catalyst that goes forward. Yeah. But again, I think I still say a season should only be judged in the context of when it aired. And as a product, I like Samoa. That's what I'm trying to get across. I just want people to just view this one independently of anything it leads to later. And I think as a product itself, I still think it works despite what the producers are doing to it. Well, yeah, and I, and I think that, like I said, with, with with the advent of you know podcasts that are coming out and all this new media that's happening, I mean, I think that that Samoa and Heroes versus Villains that comes after it, seasons 19 and 20, are kind of like this. I'm not, again, Renaissance isn't the right word, but, you know, th- it's sort of like this height of interest, especially within the people that care about Survivor. It's like a reawakening, not even a Renaissance. Yeah, yeah. in, in and of that. itself. And, and so I feel like, you know, when you talk about the modern Survivor, I feel like you sort of have to go after Heroes versus Villains, because I feel like even... You know, when you talk about eras, you can talk about eras this way, but I feel like seasons 19 and 20 kind of stand by themselves, not in the sense of like unparalleled excellence, but they're like this own little thing that happened. The uh, reawakening is a good a good word, Mike, that that sort of, you know, propels everything else after it. Yeah, it is weird to think that Token Chains and Samoa are back to back because they are like kind of different eras. Okay, so does anybody else have anything to say about the first three episodes of Survivor Samoa here that don't involve Paul doing a dumb contest for a t-shirt? I can't wait for the rest. I can't wait, well, for the rest of the pre-merge, at least. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're probably gonna, you know, I think the pre-merge goes through, what, episode seven? So we still have, we get a brief respite from the Foa Foa downfall in the next episode, but it's pretty much Foa Foa freefall from here on out, and Russell's hey, Russell, the plan of making your tribe miserable so that you can take control of the weaker people might not necessarily pay off in a game where you're trying to win challenges and make sure you go into the merge with the numbers on your side. Well, guys, I do have to say we have some good news and some bad news. The uh, bad news is that we did not get to the excellent episode four on this podcast. The good news is there's an episode four and it's really good. (laughs) Oh, no, did we loop? But we lost our microphones in the swamp of podcasting, but they're in there. (laughs) Yeah, the good news is they're in there. We lost Paul lost his voice, but the good news is he might have a voice again someday. It's in the swamp, you dumbass. <laughs> oh my god. 
God, are you actually sounding like that, Paul? Or is that exaggerated? No, no, that was a little bit put on, but just believe it, okay? <laughs> That's not much better, I gotta say. <laughs> like, your normal voice isn't much better. Paul, would you please go to the hospital after this podcast? We're worried about you, son. Sure. Okay. Okay. I think that's going to be it. We're in a kind of a silly mood here. We really, again, we really wanted to get through five. We only got through three. The wise words of Jay Fisher, we did not heed at the start. We got a little wrapped up. But again, we're pouring our heart and soul into the season. We're giving you everything we have just to make this season fun because I believe it's a season, if not all of us, at least three out of the four of us believe in. We're still working on Mike getting him to believe in this season, but we're doing our best to get you to appreciate a season that is really not popular. So, just appreciate the effort, if nothing else. Yes, I will. I will follow you as much as Foa Foa follows Shambo, which is it'll, it'll take some time. It'll, I'll, I might gravitate towards it eventually. <laughs> All right, that's why we call you McDreamy. All right, I think that's about it. Uh, again, I want to thank you for joining us and listening to us. We, uh, well, I'll give you a little, just an insider thing here. We recently switched over for years. All the. Uh, the, the historian podcasts were hosted on my funny 115 server and it got to the point that it crashed my server. We had too many listeners and I, I had a little issue in December with that where I had to move everything over to Podbean where the podcasts are hosted now. And what's interesting is that with uh, Podbean, now we get stuff like statistics and graphs. We can see where our listeners are and we have way more listeners than I ever thought. So I just would like to thank, I'll speak for all of us, that we'd like to thank all of you guys for uh, listening and, and putting up with our little uh, weird quirks and stuff and our tangents and stuff. So we do appreciate all the listeners we have and all the feedback we get. So again, thank you. And uh, signing off from the first three episodes of Samoa, as always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Oslosan. And we'll catch you on the flip side for episode four. Talk to you guys later in a couple of weeks. Goodbye. Hi, peeps. Hey, you guys want the good news or the bad news? Bad news. Bad news? Yeah. I had no luck in the ocean. I was in the... You broke the... Uh... I didn't break it. It floated off while I was in the swamp. I wasn't using the mouthpiece. I was using this, the mask. Okay. And this floated off. So the, the mouthpiece is gone? It yeah. is. You couldn't find it? It's in the swamp. There's the nothing I can out. do. And the good news? There are hundreds of thousands of fish on the reef, so... The good news is, you'll never believe it. There's fish in the ocean. Dear God, please help me here.